Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. 2,000 years ago, his words came to pass. AD 70, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. The temple destroyed. Sacrifices ceased. The end of the age. So where are we at on the prophetic timeline of history? Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that we have been made kings and priests to reign here on earth. The Revelation Red Pill, the kingdom of God is now. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Revelation Red Pill. We are hosts Leah and Michelle. It's Wednesday, which means we are going to bring you a phenomenal, a mind-blowing, a world-transforming episode that is going to, I'm not allowed to use the word, uh, knock your socks off, but you did put on the phrase that you'll never be the same again on the description. You will never be. So guys, I want to tell you something. This is a little inside baseball secret prepping you for this show. This is gearing up to be literally not just the most controversial revelation red pill that we've ever done the most controversial show i don't we well have we've done a lot of controversial done. shows i don't Leah, what's on your arm which one you just raised it up oh plantain so lee and i this is how much the devil is terrified of tonight's show well we told robert and jamie they are um satan's what do they what do you call them satan's demons satan with wings satan satan's demons yes what you call them or something like that so we ran into a nest of yellow jackets today Leonardo. satan's devils and uh we both got stung seven times it felt like 700 um and and then michelle took some benadryl i think i took a benadryl but you <sighs> fell asleep hard and she's like, I got to get up. I got to do this most life-changing I've got to do the episode. most life-changing episode. <laughs> I, I literally, I came down here. I got the show ready. And I kid you not, while I was getting the show ready and I was waiting for stuff, I was sitting here and my eyes were closed. And I was like, Michelle, you, I'm talking to my half of self-sleep. And it was like, you have to finish getting this ready. And then you can lay down. And so I did. And I laid down. And I feel great. I feel like a million bucks. I'm glad. And I took a swig of B12. Yeah. And we're ready to go. Let's awesome. do it. So, Leah, you know, we say on our show all the time, make yeah. babies for your country. Yeah. It's one of the things that, you know, Putin, sorry, I got dog hair in my mouth. Putin is promoting families over in Russia. He's, they they, yeah. they reward families, big, large families. Yes, they do. In Poland, they, they I don't want to say they pay people to have babies, but they kind of do. They do. Um, they will help them write off their mortgages. They do a whole host of things. I think Hungary does the same thing. Yeah. All of these countries are promoting children. Is it so that they can take over the world? Um, I mean, maybe with Russia. No, it's not. It is not. But what it does do is it strengthens a nation. Yeah. When your people are having large families, your nation will be strong. And a lot of times I'll hear from people, oh, having children it's it's hard it's hard it's so expensive yes it is bad for the planet yes you will be killing the planet yes literally if you have lots of Dad, children the planet dies every time even a child's the, born 
dies a little more. Seriously, even the people that understand that population control is evil will still give me the argument. Well, you don't want too many people on. No, Earth. it's you know because they they live in cities. It, and and you just can't. I mean, we can't feed that many people, Leah. No, we can't. But God can. <laughs> So, Leah, I'm going to give you my my punchline for the whole show right off the bat. Oh. I was kind of hoping to build a case and not give a punchline till the end. Yeah, I think you guys need to mule on this one. Carry it with you through the rest of the show. Okay. Okay? When it comes to people coming into the kingdom of God and getting saved. Yes. Does God ever say, yeah, There's the too kingdom many of God might get a little overpopulated. There may not be enough land. Oh, gosh. Yeah, um, well, or just, or, hey, you know what? Just wait. You know, there's a time when God says, it, I, I have too many kids. Don't get any more people saved for a little while. Right. We need to make room. We need, we need to make room. Yeah. Right? Or the body of Christ has had their arms open too wide. Oh, absolutely. And God never says that. Yes, that was a, a slight joke. You, no, yeah. God never says that. Yeah. And that's my punchline. God never says that. And we do know that families represent the kingdom of God. Absolutely. So we're going to dive right in here with the Revelation Red Pill, Margaret Sanger, eugenics, and population control. Because the devil always comes to do what, Leah? Steal, kill, and destroy. Boom. So we're going to start with Deuteronomy 28, because you guys know that the key principle to the Revelation Red Pill is that you are the seed of Abraham, and you are heirs according to the promise. But we skip... One verse. Mm-hmm. We skip it. Doesn't Don't you know? Skip we skip verses. it. Uh, and I'm gonna read chapter. I'm gonna read chapter 28 and two and three and four and five and six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think. You know what? I'm gonna be doing a lot of reading. So why don't you read this? Okay, I'm gonna pull it up. I don't know if I can make this big enough for them to see or not. Let's try. Oh, it'll work, right? It, about there. All right, right. Scroll down. There we go. Just read right, right no, there. We're going to we're gonna um, just screen share this so that you guys can't. Oh, it's the wrong screen. Hang on. I'm going to change that. I'm going to start reading then so you don't have to. I'm okay. got it. And all these right blessings here. shall come upon you and overtake you if you heed the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Go ahead. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of wait, your beast. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Wait, wait, wait. One more time. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body. Now continue. No, wait. You know what that really means? It just means that the fruit that you do have will be blessed. Just keep going. And the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your beasts, the increase of your cattle and the young flock. Now, we Uh, see the increase. The increase. uh, Two cows good? I want more cows. Two cows? Definitely need more. 2.5? No. I need way more cows than 2.5 cows. Okay, so what else are we going to be blessed with? Uh, your cattle and your young flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading trough. Two loaves of bread? Many loaves of bread. 2.5 loaves of bread. Lots of bread. Okay. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you grow out. And the Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before your face, and they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouse and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land which your Lord gives you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name and in the presence of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord shall make you a surplus of prosperity through the fruit of your body. Do you guys have a surplus of kids? Let's sit on that for a second. Um, And as a matter of fact, let me do this. I'm going to, I haven't changed the background for this because I want to be able to, I want you guys to watch me read this. 
and watch our facial expressions. It's not enough. Leah, keep reading while I change the background here. And the Lord shall make you a, to have a surplus of prosperity through what? The fruit of your body, of your livestock, and of your ground in the land which the Lord your God swore to you and your fathers to give you. So if you have a surplus of grapes, which I do right now, is that 2.5? Just, you know, making, just, just kind of, you know, keeping it in order, Lord. No. A surplus. But here's the thing. What would be a surplus of children? <laughs> I'm going to leave that up to you, but I'm going to wager that none of you are going to say one, two, three. We'll go there. Surplus. Are going to be a, three a, is surplus, not a surplus of, of children. children. And it says you will be a surplus of prosperity through the fruit of your body. Wait. Full stop. So you're telling me that God says that we will be prosperous from the children. I have been taught. Let me make this big. Yeah. I have been taught that children will actually drain us from finances. Yeah. And we and they will take from us because Leah, we don't live in an agrarian society anymore. And these scriptures of blessings and the fact that kids are blessings, that was just meant for an agrarian society. No, it was meant for people who follow God. And if you're oh! to you, then you are not following the Lord. You are not living out the kingdom if your kids are not a blessing. And you wouldn't want another one. And another, another one. one. And, and another, another one. one. Because your kids are a blessing, but your kids are only a blessing if you're living out of the kingdom. Here, now, how many people wait, say... Wait, wait, wait. I do not want to handle on this because I got a whole blog to go on. Okay, fine. Okay. Uh, your livestock and all your ground in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. And the Lord shall open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give rain of your land in its season, and to bless mm. all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only and not beneath. And if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, I'm going to tell you something. If you are not blessed in your life, your children are a blessing. There is some area in your life that you are not heeding the commandments of God, and I'm going to tell you that straight up. Okay? And sometimes you're forced not to, and I, I will guarantee you that because my mama had two kids, and it was a struggle. But she started to say, my kids are a blessing, my kids are a blessing, my kids are a blessing. <sighs> Which I come in, and why did she only have two kids? I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But she divorced my dad. So there's, there... oh. children are a blessing. And if you are in a marriage, we're going to get to what happens in a marriage. Mm -mm. Okay? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to tell you straight up in this, this, this particular broadcast. Here it comes. This is not a quiverful Oops, message. Here. Okay, whatever you guys have heard from the quiverful messages, I am going from the angle, and we are going to take this Revelation Red Pill style, eugenics, Margaret Sanger, and the devil in the early 1900s. That's the angle I'm going to leave you guys to make decisions at the end of this. I'm not going to tell you what to do. God's I'm telling you what, what to do. God is going to tell people what to do. I'm joking. I'm if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and be watchful to do them. And you shall not turn aside from any of the words that I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to serve other gods. I'm going to tell you what. America has happened to serve other gods. Would you play this video, please? Absolutely. All right. 60 seconds. I'm going to prove to you, or this guy on BitChute is, uh, that po the population control is a myth that we do not have overpopulation. If all the people in the world, 9 billion inhabitants, stood next to each other, 4 people per 1 square meter, the entire human population would fit on an area the size of the Istrian Peninsula. 
If each person in the world were provided with a space of about 1,000 square meters to grow food for themselves, the entire human population would fit on an area equivalent to the size of Brazil. If each four-member family were provided with a space of about 700 square meters to grow food for themselves, the entire human population would fit on an area equivalent to Iran. In 2019, it was estimated that there were approximately 7.7 billion people in the world. Almost all the necessary vegetable quantities for a four-member family can be produced on about 200 square meters of garden space. It is known that arable land currently covers an area of about 31 million square kilometer. On this land, the vegetable quantities needed to feed 155 billion people, or over 38 billion four-member families, could be grown. There are not too many people. There is more than enough space for everyone, except for greed. If Boom! All, the all right. So... This is the word the Lord gave me. You are a cog in someone else's system. You are a pawn, a piece in someone else's game. Communism is the disease of the East. Progressivism is the disease of the West. If you want to find out exactly what ails this nation, it's not so much the anarchist teachings or the radical communist, but they're more powerful, more organized, wealthy elite cousins, the progressives. Progressives disguise themselves as helpers of mankind. They are the Bills and Melinda Gates who rob the poor and then control them through a favorite sleight of hand called philanthropy. People who have made millions are either scamming, charging too much, or not paying their employees enough. They likely make deals with bankers and post-Federal Reserve. They are issuing monopoly money to make more monopoly money. So where does Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood fit into the globalist agenda, and how do eugenics tie into the end times? Follow the breadcrumbs. Darwin and Darby. A loss of a solid theological foundation in favor of the new, the extraordinary, the discovery of new ideas, ways to mysticism, Mormonism, the Seventh-day Adventist, Darwinism, evolution, Darbyism, the prophecy conferences, all come about on one time frame, the 1850s, 60s, and 70s. Bruce Gore points out that in the turn of the 20th century, things were getting out of hand. Christianity was making a turn from the prominent thought to being backwards uh, thinking, not progressive, not moving forward. People were thinking they called Christians, Christians sticking the mud. fundamentalists. Yeah. The traditional Christians, actually a fundamentalist was a good term and then it turned into a slur. The intellectual elite took over the colleges and universities and began to systematically undo the moral underpinnings of society. Evangelical Christians split as the fundamentalists saw that sending their kids to college or seminary resulted in a crisis of faith. Mm. The Schofield Reference Bible had just come out and good Christians reading it uh, read the footnotes showing that Jesus was about to come back soon. They started their own Bible college movement that was academically light. The Dallas Theological Seminary, the Dwight L. Moody Bible Institute, and they, caught their, they, caught, they taught their kids dispensationalism. So in this split between fundamentalist Christians and progressive Christians, we see a new movement emerge. The progressive Christians began to see themselves as ushering a utopia through social and political maneuvers. Their biggest push was to eradicate poverty. They pushed for government funding for programs as well as a new philosophy called eugenics, a.k.a. family planning, for the disabled, for criminals, for the poor, people of color, sterilization, and eradication. Again, as fundamentalist Christians lost power in prominent circles, they turned inward. They found solace in the Schofield Reference Bible that their defeats in culture were merely God's plan and that surely Jesus was coming soon to rescue them. Instead of pushing back, 
on the push for atheism. Many, many retreated, not all, but many. The fundamentalists held the line on morality while the progressive embraced an ever-increasing number of vices. And to remind you guys, as Leah reads progressives, we are finding that it's not just, we think of the progressives as um, atheistic, right? We are talking about a, an atheistic progressive movement that then infiltrated the church and then became the progressive church and then the fundamentalist church on two different sides. Well, an AOC will call herself a Christian. Right. Bill and Hillary Clinton will call themselves Christians. Who? Bill and Hillary Clinton. Bill and Melinda Gates. Oh, Bill Clinton. Yeah. Oh, I was going with the Gates. Yeah, you're right. Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton will call themselves Christians. Barack Obama and, and Michelle, they call themselves Christians. They're right. progressive Christians. But I'm talking about even the people that, like, they go to church. They think they have a relationship with Jesus. Like, they read their Bible, some of these people. Mm -hmm. Like, so I don't think Hillary Clinton's reading the Bible. No, but it's the same mindset. I'm saying Hillary, Hillary and Bill, I don't think they even think that they're Christians. I'm talking about the people that literally do the progressives. They're in the same camp. But amongst those, those progressive back Christians in the 20s and were 30s. the people that they're reading their Bible. They think that they are a Christian. They go to church and it's two different mindsets. Yeah. Congress had passed. I don't know if you guys know this. We're going to go back in history. I want you guys to write this down. I want you to look it up because this, this law is still in the books. Baby. Here it comes. It's called the Comstock Act. In uh, 1873, made it illegal to send obscure, obscene, no, sorry, not obscure. Obscene, lewd, or lascivious, or immoral, or indecent publications through the mail. It also made it a misdemeanor for anyone to sell, give away, or possess an obscene book, pamphlet, drawing, or advertisement. The breadth of the legislation included writings or instruments pertaining to contraception and abortion, even if written by a physician, although officially titled an act for the suppression and trade in the circulation of obscene literature and articles of immoral use, the statute did not provide a definition of obscenity. So Congress adopted the Com Comstock Act as a result uh, in response to the proliferation of obscene materials in the 1870s. Anthony Comstock, head of the New York Society, the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, had shown members of Congress illustrations that he considered obscene and urged legislators to pass the measures to prevent crime and corruption of children. After Congress passed the bill, it designated Comstock as a special agent in the United States Post Office charged with enforcing the law. With the help of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice, Comstock was able to arrest individuals under the new act. So if you Google the Comstock Act today, you will find a plethora of left-leaning sites worried that in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, that conservatives will look to invoke the Comstock Act once again because it's never been repealed. Indeed, Congress has never repealed or replaced the Comstock Act. And instead... The Supreme Court made law, which it cannot do under the Constitution. The power to make laws governing the nation lies solely in Congress, and the president must sign or veto that legislation. If you go to my article, Michelle, you can click on uh, this CNN article right here, and um, you can see that, that, that uh, uh, if you just, you can click on it and show them that CNN is, scroll down. Okay, it's past that. Right, right there. there. Okay. Yeah. It's not clickable, I guess. That's right, I got it. Uh, they're worried about this Comstock Act. Look around you. Is the kingdom of God manifesting in your life? We shouldn't be too hard on those who see the world getting worse and worse and hoping for Jesus to come back. At every term, it seems, we take one step forward in victory and two steps back. If our greatest achievement as conservatives is to get people to boycott a beer company and buy Coors Light instead of Bud Light, we are not really winning, but we are just slowing the descent. 
Fundamentalist Christians, now coined evangelicals, have retreated from the culture. Sometimes they come out to support a good Christian movie or to cry the radical progressive agenda of the left, but with each passing day, they are losing more ground. Or should I say, they're giving more ground. Much of this ground can be traced back to bad theology. Always find the connections. When stripping paint or laying a new floor, you need to go back to the beginning. So the whole reason Michelle and I started the Revelation Red Pill was to encourage our fellow believers to start pushing back against the evil around us. In order to do that, uh, we knew that you needed to have scriptures to back up the promises that God has for you. And you needed to know those promises were for you. And manifesting the kingdom and the promises of God, many of you have burst through many mental hurdles. Come on and You've gotten out of the cities. You're growing your own food. Your food. You're pulling down strongholds in government, believing for farms and lands. But there is one area of the kingdom blessing that we have left and we have left in our teaching of the kingdom virtually untouched. untouched. We just don't touch it. Because Until it now. is a sacred cow. And when you go start to talk about it. Because it's one area that y'all don't want to be blessed in. And I understand it. Don't get in my bedroom. Don't talk about my womb. Don't talk about any of that stuff. It is mine. And I don't even want God in it. Yeah. You all, you have all have, you all have beautifully followed the link between sex trafficking and pornography. You've all done it. Every single one of you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter yes. into the joy of the Lord. And you are giving up this horrible vice plaguing society. Most of you are ardently pro-life and even abstain from sexual relations before marriage. I commend you all. Awesome. However, in the words of John the Revelator in his letters to the seven churches, there is an oft refrain, this one thing you lack. Uh-oh. And so my fellow Revelation Red Pill Kingdom brothers and sisters, will you strap in and stay with me for a while? <laughs> even if it gets uncomfortable, will you go with me with an open mind and an open heart as we rip down the layers of their origin and find out how abortion, pornography, and sex trafficking actually took hold in the first place? It didn't come out of nowhere. Can I show you? Would you please share this with your friends and family? Would you ask them please to watch the entire thing? And this may be a two-parter, we'll see. It wasn't because... Of those outside the church that pornography and abortion and sex trafficking took hold you guys just like with our ohio issue one vote in august of 2023 to strengthen our constitution it was christians who opened the floodgates of hell and i mean hell you might be forgiven for not knowing this history because the same ones who rewrote biblical eschatology rewrote how the church has consistently seen marriage and sexual relations uh oh it all ties together we will never eradicate abortion or pornography or sex trafficking. We just will not do it. I will tell you right now, there's no way. You, you and I cannot do it. We will never, ever take down the WHO, the WEF, or the, uh, stop the likes of Soros and Bill Gates if we are lukewarm. Mm. If we conform to this world, Hillary Clinton and Planned Parenthood praised the failure of issue one. Yet some Christians still believe that they voted correctly. They don't know that it was the progressives in 1912 that ushered in the lower voting threshold to more easily change our constitution. Indeed, Teddy Roosevelt, who was an ardent progressive and eugenicist, pushed forward the constitutional amendment change as promoting pure democracy. And I'll I think it. you we'll need fix it. it says purred. I see that. You see, as a result of Christians pulling back from the cultural fight, Thinking Jesus was coming back soon, Christians have been pulled further away from God and have fallen under the spell of the progressive left. Meanwhile, the devil laughs. Over 53 million babies have been aborted because Christians let the devil breach the wall and enter into their homes. I want you to pause right there because here's what we want to do. We should have started the show, but I think that having a good intro into this it first is good. But I'm going to ask you guys 
whether you're watching this live tonight or you're watching it back or you're watching it in the future to join me in prayer. And I want you to, I'm going to, I'm going into this with you. God, we come humbly before you. Yes. We ask that you throw down any of our sacred cows, any of our walls that we have built up so that our hearts will be soft to be able to receive the message that you want for us and anything that we, any preconceived ideas or anger or frustration or things that have happened to us in our past that make us believe a certain way. I ask that you pull those strongholds down and Satan, we give you no foothold because we are opening up our hearts. We are opening up our minds, our souls, our spirits, and our wombs to say, God, we want you to speak to us tonight and we want to hear only from the Holy Spirit and we cast down any demon that would try to be whispering in our ears, telling us why this is not so. And so right now we want to just cleanse the land. We want to cleanse our homes. We want to cleanse our apartments, wherever you're at right now, listening in your car while you're driving. Uh, we kick the devil out. He has no place. He has no foothold. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in. And what may we only hear from the Holy Spirit on this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. American eugenics. Anybody know? I'm sorry if you guys don't know what eugenics means, but you are when we're done here. I'm going to get, uh, there's actually the Latin words here. It means, um, what is the Latin here? Because it, uh, it's, it's termed. Wait a minute. I don't know what's going on there. Let me see here. Why don't I look it up and you can keep, keep going. Yeah. Find me that. It sure. means something about, um, high birth or thing. Well-bred. It's, um, it? It, it's good breeding. The well-bred. It's the, the high-bred, well-bred. Yeah. The high-bred, the well-bred. Yes, we have to be high-bred, well-bred. Which is, for, I, Leah's going to get into this, what Hitler wanted. The Aryan race. Oh, but it wasn't Hitler first. Exactly. Oh, no. Hitler, Hitler just played off of us. In the mid-1800s, uh, they were a turbulent time in America. Financial prosperity had led to the rise uh, led uh, rise to bankers, a.k.a. robber barons. If you haven't seen The Men Who Built America... Uh, the Innovators, The Men Who Built America, and um, you can see that there's a four-part miniseries, and I suggest you watch that. It was You've um, got a link to this on On the History Channel, but it focused on um, Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, Carnegie, um, J.P. Morgan, and Henry Ford. All bad guys, okay? And I want you guys to, to kind of watch that with your family. I highly recommend it. You will find the devil working in these men. And again, the push to get Christians to believe. And some people say, well, what's wrong with Ford? Well, he was, Ford, he was a eugenicist as well. So, hybrid. We don't want those little lesser people. So, uh, there was a push to get Christians to believe that the world must get worse and worse. Must, must get more immoral. And that played right into these crooked men's hands. Pulling men and women off of farms and into cities was a main driving force behind the progressive agenda. Rockefeller said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And Ford needed people who were dumb enough to want to put a, a nut on a car all day long for the rest of their life. And if you've done that, that's because you were trained to do that and God has more for you. God bless your soul. Um, God bless you. I mean that. I mean that. I am not putting anybody down who says it. I'm saying that they made it so that you would be a cog in their system. Okay? Right. To help the poor create social programs to tell Christians their God was dead and they failed in manifesting the kingdom of God. To solve society's ills, which they themselves created, they would need your money, your power, and your vote. And a lot of this happened through what we call, you see, you were all made in the image of God. I'm going to start out right now. There's no breeding mm. intelligence. There's no breeding the life of God. Wow, that's good. You see, when you read throughout the Bible, God often takes the least of these and makes the great of the, greatest of these. 
okay? And when it comes to education, the point of American education at the turn of the 20th century was to take incredibly smart, gifted people and make them dumb. Mm -hmm. Make them, your intelligence is always there, okay? It's ignorant. It's ignorant to keep you away from reading the greats, from being great, from starting your own business, from running your own farm, okay? So that you would be a, a servant because they, we outlawed slavery, so then they needed slaves, and they turned them into a, another term called workers, all right? One of those society's ills was to reduce the feeble population, i.e. the criminals, the disabled, the poor, the people of low birth, the people of color. Many people know Margaret Sanger as one of the major proponents of eugenesis, of eugenics, but she certainly was not the first. So we have a French word for it. De Pepster. So the prominent French scientist Alex Carrel won the Nobel Prize for his inventions. His work saved military and civilian lives during both world wars. After his death, a grateful nation baptized med the medical school of Lyons as Alexis Carrel University. In the 1990s, however, critics recalled that Carroll had been an ardent eugenicist. In his book, The Man, the Unknown, in 1935, Carroll recommended the use of gas chambers to deal with criminals and the insane. And in 1936, in the preference to the German edition, he praised the new National Society Socialist government's eugenic policy of forced sterilization. The French government quickly debaptized Elix Carrel University and rebaptized it in the name T.H. Lenique the uncontroversial inventor of the stethoscope. So for Sir Francis Galton, I want you guys to remember that word, Sir Francis Galton. He's the guy that came up with the term. Never heard his name, why not? Why haven't you heard it? Why don't you know it? Eugenics, high bred, way back in 1883, and he coined it to describe a theory he had already spent years developing, and it's in my article, here it is. The University of Virginia says he envisioned its meaning well-born. And the whole root of the idea went back to his more famous cousin, Charles Darwin. Most people are familiar with Darwin's work regarding evolution, and Galton was too. He was captivated by the idea, and it took, he took it one step further. According to the Galton Institute, he published early texts on eugenics around 1864, and he wrote about his discovery that there were a ton of eminent men who had family connections. Then he suggested that success was genetic, and he believed that m most desirable characteristics of the human race, success, intelligence, and a fine, honest character were passed down through the generations. Galton suggested that if only the finest specimens married and reproduced, it would lead to the creation of a utopian society. He proved his theory in a work called Hereditary Genius, where he used the family trees of well-known men to illustrate how success seemed to run in the family. Galton's work focused on so-called positive eugenics, which was basically meant encouraging people who were, you had a desirable characteristic. You just keep on having more babies, baby. Well, but okay. here's the deal, Leah. I actually don't disagree with that yeah, to, to an but, extent. But uh, with the mindset of the characteristics, rather than God wants to bless you, it gets a little bit crazy well, and twisted. With, to me, that characteristic is if you are a son and daughter of Christ, we want more sons and daughters of Yeah, Christ. but he's basic. If you have positive eugenics, which you see, look at that fine physical specimen of a man. Right. And look at that fine physical specimen of a woman. And she is so intelligent. And he is so intelligent. And you must breed together to create most intelligent person. That is evil. Exactly. But okay. it is not evil 
to go, you know what? If I, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty warrior, those are arrows, those are, and we're going to get into that tonight, then you understand that your children, if your children are godly children, then they are meant to go into society. Once you leave off that society. and you start to go to this, it goes bad. Exactly. Okay, so it wasn't long before devotees developed a different kind, negative eugenics, which promoted the idea that the lower classes, because see, if you are looking at two really great looking people and you want them to get married and have kids and there are people that you don't want to get married and have and kids. And that's the difference because I don't ever look at anyone and tell them not to have children and nor do I think that they should not have children. I think that everyone should have children and I believe that as we have children and they have children, our children, and as they grow into adults, we will then permeate society and we will get their kids saved and then they're on our side too. All right, so the poor and other undesirables need to stop reproducing, baby. And there, it was just one small step to suggesting there was a whole section of the population that needed to be removed from the gene pool entirely. And in 1911, Carnegie, 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 Carnegie. I'm telling you, these people who built America, Ford, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, Carnegie, these are some of the evilest people on the face of the planet. So Carnegie funded a report and explored how do we get the hybrid people, people of our class, to have more kids than those other people to just not have them. So the eighth item on the list, they had a list, was euthanasia. Specifically, it was suggested that undesirable people be sent to a public, locally operated gas chamber. Carnegie. Any of you go to his great, awesome building with the music, Carnegie Music Hall? Death. Death. And that's some serious Third Reich stuff right there. Other suggestions made in the report by others around the same time were that physicians should let patients die if they are suffering from a hereditary malady or illness, that babies born defective should be denied medical attention and care until they just simply died, or that they should be closed with dose. dose with chloroform or cyanide. That couldn't happen, right? That didn't actually happen. It was all theory. It absolutely stinking did. And it does today. One hospital in Illinois started giving patients milk from cows infected with bovine tuberculosis, assuming that if they were genetically strong, they would survive. About 30 to 40% of their patients died during this experiment. Let's uh, play this clip here. Today on The Daily Dose, the American eugenics movement. When Athenian philosopher Plato wrote that an optimized society could be had by encouraging high-class people to mate while discouraging procreation among the lower classes, he became the first thinker in human history to propose a system of forced genetic selection, later coined eugenics by British polymath and cousin to Charles Darwin, Sir Francis Galton, in his 1869 publication of Hereditary Genius, where he also coined it. the phrase nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. While his genetic selection plans never took hold in his native country, really Americans widely idea. embraced the eugenics movement beginning in 1896, when Connecticut made it illegal for feeble-minded people or epileptics to marry. While the American Breeders Association was founded in 1903 to study eugenics, serial maker John Harvey Kellogg created mm. the Race Betterment Foundation in 1911 which established a pedigree registry and would later lead scientists and socialists to found the eugenics record office with the objective of identifying bad genetic traits closely associated with ethnicity, economics, and other social views of the day. The eugenics movement in the United States crossed into the dark side when California began sterilizing some 20,000 mentally ill patients from 1909 to 1979 
Under the misguided hope of eradicating mental illness, 38 states would eventually allow forced sterilizations on victims whom lawmakers deemed genetically unworthy of procreation. While in 1927, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that involuntary sterilization of a handicapped person failed to violate the U.S. Constitution, prompting Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes to declare that three generations of imbeciles are enough. The ruling would be overturned in 1942, but not before thousands of people were sterilized for the betterment of the human gene pool. Even more appalling, a 1976 Government Accountability Office report revealed that some 25 to 50 percent of Native Americans were sterilized between 1970 and 1976, largely without consent, and generally performed during other surgical procedures, such as an appendectomy. After doctors Jennifer Doudna, Emmanuel Carpentier, and others discovered the gene editing technique known as CRISPR-Cas9, scientists and medical ethicists must now grapple with a new form of eugenics, which could eventually see CRISPR used by parents intent on designing perfect offspring, both from a physical appearance standpoint, as well as genetically engineered resistance to hereditary diseases. Known as germline genome editing, a process that permanently changes a human's inheritable DNA, CRISPR may one day see a resurgence in the eugenics movement, altering the human genome in ways both useful and potentially wrong. Eugenics and never it went the American anywhere, by the way, okay? It just changes. And I'm going to get to something in a minute because you might say, well, the rich elite, they were still wanting to have children. No, you see, the devil comes and tells you to eradicate a one group of people because the devil's idea is to stop with the people that you choose to eradicate. So he comes for you next. According to PBS, the undesirables of America who were targeted by the eugenics movement were immigrant populations, the poor, people of color, unwed mothers, the mentally ill, and the disabled. It wasn't just talk either. Starting in 1909, the state of California conducted somewhere between 20,000 forced sterilizations to stop people in these groups from reproducing. That was over the course of a shocking 70 years. And California wasn't the only state doing it. Take Mississippi. It was so common for teaching hospitals to demonstrate hysterectomies on unwilling black women that there was a name for it. Mississippi acted epidemic epidectomies. Thank you. Oh, geez. Appendectomies. There you go. You said it. And some of those women, they were girls, including children just nine years old. Would you play, bring up this YouTube? Well, wait, just a second. I think this is my John Kellogg video. Let me see if this is. You guys, you guys ever eat? Uh, no, this isn't my John Kellogg interview. Play this one first. We'll come, okay. we'll go to John in a second. Three, uh, 24, please. Cool. Hold on. You want it on any specifics? Uh, 125, 1.25 is probably good. Okay, this is Lauren's first plane ride right here. A little louder. Need me to Okay. We was raised in a very rural area of North Carolina where there was holly jobs or any work, and the only form of work that was there was farming. We used to go and pick cotton or potatoes or beans or something like that. Instead of us being in school, sometimes we had to be in the field. I remember, um, you know, my hair was unkempt. You know, I used to wear the same thing over and over and over to school at least three times a week. You know, I was really an unkempt little girl. Like many people growing up in North Carolina in the 50s and 60s, Elaine Riddick Jesse never had the real opportunity she'd been guaranteed as an American citizen. Her fate was bound up with a state built on a system of segregation and Jim Crow laws. 
The Windfall community suffered in extreme poverty. Elaine watched her parents' marriage fall apart, eventually leading social workers to send her to live with her grandmother. Then, Elaine's life took another tragic turn. I was a victim of rape. I was molested when I was 13 years old, and the guy that raped me told me if I told anybody that he was gonna kill me, you know, and um, so I had to keep it to myself. Eventually, the social worker noticed that Elaine was pregnant, assumed that she was promiscuous, and recommended that Elaine be examined by the state eugenics board. The eugenics board was a board of five men that sat around the table, and of course, they were white men, too. They sat around the table, and they just marked the paper. Anybody that the, that the social worker would deem feeble-minded or slow or having a problem, the social worker would come in and say, I want this person sterilized. And boom, they stamped it, and that was it. The board was presented with an evaluation from the social worker, who insisted that there was no hope for Elaine, that she got along poorly with other children, and that an IQ test showed that she was feeble-minded. No one asked me, what's wrong? Can I help you? Are you hungry? Are you cold? You know, maybe I'm sick. No one took the time to find out what was the problem. Elaine discovered the board had completely ignored another evaluation they received by a psychologist who said her chief problem was her environment. She was doing above average work in school, and any difficulty she had getting along with others was likely due to the fact that she was always being bullied by other students and was generally hungry. The board favored the social worker's recommendation. I had my son and I woke up in bandages. Um, did you notice that that said the sterilization or asexualization of? Mm, asexual. And we that, that's a phrase that we hear all the time, this mm -hmm. asexual. Mm -hmm. they, what they are doing to children right now mm -hmm. is the exact same thing that they did to Elaine, but they're just mm -hmm. using the kids to manipulate their minds to say, you want this to happen. Mm -hmm. It's another form of eugenics. Not yes. knowing what it was for. They went inside of me and sterilized me without my knowledge. Because I was now black, they're telling kids they poor, want it, exactly. and my mother was in a prison. My dad was running around. He was an alcoholic. My mother was an alcoholic, so they automatically assumed that I was going to become an alcoholic. And then, without even my son as a baby, automatically assuming that he was the third generation and that he was going to be an alcoholic also. What they wanted to do was nip it in the bud right then, stop this family tree. They want to cut the tree down, and I want to know who in the world give these people the right to go and do these sort of things to another human being. You know, even in Germany, you didn't have the, Hitler didn't have the right to do this. We're the ones that educated Hitler on this stuff here, sterilization. Okay, you can pause that there. All right, so you can see that's kind of how the sterilization went. And um, you have to understand something, that we are never dealing with people. We are only dealing with demons. Exactly. And when the devil catches on that you have caught on, then the devil will will the demons will regroup exactly and rechange their messaging. Seventy years of sterilization until somebody caught on. Mm. So the devil says, "Okay, you let me catch, repackage it. Let we'll, me repackage this, and you'll want it again. Watch." Right. And now it's even worse. So now he's repackaged it and said, "Well, what we're going to do is we're going to brainwash a whole generation of children and parents to think that they want that we want to." do And this. one of the reasons why kids want to do this is because they have been told that the earth is overpopulated and they don't that having have children is a burden. And so by becoming asexual, yeah, they're going to save the planet. They are going to save the planet, and that by not having more children. All right, so here is a little bit of a Revelation Red Pill tie-in for you. So John Kellogg, yes, that Kellogg, the serial guy. 
he was raised a Seventh-day Adventist. And um, I don't know if you guys remember our little section on Seventh-day Adventism, but uh, it was one of those things that came about the same time around John Darby, uh, Ellen White, and her husband, Jane, uh, James, they got the same message as John Darby. Jesus is coming back in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And she was a known prophetess, and she had a heavy focus in her prophetic words on health. And John Kellogg, just of all the, you know, Tony the Tiger and all the Kellogg, little Keebler, isn't the Keebler Kellogg the yeah. same thing? A little um, little guys in a tree. Um, so James and Ellen started a cult. It was very much of a cult because you had to live a certain way. You had to dress, I think you had to dress up, but you had to eat a certain way. Uh, Sabbath was on the Saturdays, okay? And Jesus was coming back and they had the timing all set up. So Kellogg's family moved to be part of that. And John uh, Kellogg actually was 12 years old when he went to uh, live and kind of apprentice with the whites. And um, they saw that he had, he was a young man of great intellect. So they sent him to school to be a physician because they wanted to start a hospital and this it's called a sanitarium. And they started this hospital and it actually served very wealthy people. They make a ton of money off of this. It actually, uh, he, they actually kind of uh, helped um, with some presidents. They had a lot of uh, very interesting treatments. What do you some mean helped with some presidents? You mean helped? Treated. Push. No, they treated oh, okay, some okay, presidents. Okay. I mean. All right, carry on. And they, they had a lot of alternative treatments. They were they were kind of the cool alternative treatment center. If you had issues, then they would maybe uh, have you sit in a bath for two or three days to a week. <laughs> they might do a 13-liter enema. Uh, it was, some of them you would consider, you know, almost could kill people, but they were doing them then, all right? So it was uh, Tacoma Park outside of Washington, D.C. They, uh, taught, they taught the imminent return of Jesus Christ in a selfless life, including a meatless life healthy living, and a nutritious vegetable and grain-based diet. Many of Ellen White's religious experiences were connected to personal health. During the 1860s, inspired by visions and messages she claimed to receive from God, she developed a doctrine on hygiene, diet, and chastity enveloped within the teachings of Christ. Uh, I, it's very interesting that now everybody is eating meat, and they believe that you should not eat any meat mm -hmm. whatsoever. Don't touch it. Uh, in 1914, the very first Race Betterment Conference. You know, it's incredibly interesting. The entire left is telling me that there is a resurgence of Nazis and white supremacy. And yet, Kellogg's is still sold in every grocery store. Right. And this guy was part of a cult and he created, he was really part, he was part of a cult, two cults, the, the, the end times cult, which actually very interesting. Um, he left that cult. He left the Seventh-day Adventist because, um, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have a relationship with Jesus and he wrote a book that, uh, there's many ways to God. Right. And this Ellen White kept prophesying, kind of prophesying back into Jesus, um, but uh, when you have your when your whole doctrine is on food and your whole doctrine of Jesus is coming back and you got to live this this pure life and watch exactly what you eat and make sure everything you eat is per perfectly this well that's where he comes up and it's out of the Seventh Day Adventist cult never touch a cornflake a day in your life oh dear God okay this guy was a maniac all right um, so he believed that poor digestion he he was constipated a lot. And so he saw women waking up every morning, cooking oatmeal and gruel, which was actually whole grains, which would be way better. And he did eat a diet of uh, candy and some bad for you stuff. So then he comes up with cornflakes, right? And he says that it's pre, basically pre-digested 
And if you have these cornflakes and you put some little sugar on it, you have it with some, some milk, then you'll have perfect digestion and you'll be perfect. It's kind of a weird thing. But uh, you know him as, as a cornflakes guy. But the cornflakes came with a side of racism. Okay? So we have the Race Betterment Foundation. And the co-founder is Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. All right? Then it was called the Battle uh, it was called the, the uh, Battle Creek Sanitarium. And he created the Race Betterment Foundation. And Kellogg was right in the center of all the eugenics in this race degeneracy. He spent about 30 years studying eugenics, developing his theories alongside his other projects like biologic living and health reform. Meat and alcohol, he claimed, were race poisons. Not body poisons, race poisons. Race poisons. White supremacists. Dude, Kellogg cornflakes are white supremacist food, I'm telling you. I'm not even kidding you. The dude's white supremacy is in everything, but you barely touch on it in any articles about him. And PBS, even Wikipedia, is just kind of like, they're kind of like this. And then he was a eugenicist that believed in white supremacy, but really it's no big deal, so eat your Kellogg's. It's not even going to have that in there. Okay. It actually does. Does it? Okay. It does. It does. But it's really no big deal because that's just what they believe back then. It's just what they believe back then. Okay, but they're tearing down statues of Thomas Jefferson, and I want to see Tony the Tiger gone. Boom. No more. Okay. Tony the race tiger, racist tiger. All right. So, and he went as far as claiming that if the human race continued on the trajectory that it was on, it would go extinct. Also dangerous in his book, race mixing. Okay. You do not, black people do not marry white people because they have, white people have all these things going on and black people have all these things go on. And if you just mix them up, everything can go cray cray. But I'm telling you something, we all started from Adam and Eve, y'all. Okay. This is all crazy stuff, right? Uh, he was 100% a favor of sterilization and the creation of human pedigrees. And spoke enthusiastically at the conference saying, if the human race is degenerating, then we should know it. We should let the people know it. He pushed for public awareness and he got it. The second conference was held at the Panama Pacific International Exhibition of 1915. And somewhere about 18 million people visited that fair. This eugenicist fair. 18 million people. What was the population? Could you put the American population of in 1915 in the, what was the American population in 1915? And saw the Race Betterment Foundation's exhibit in the entryway of the Palace Education. All right, so just to, to let you know that he was an advocate for the progressive movement. So I would say, what, 20%? It's 100,000? No. 18? Yeah, 20, that's about 20%. So 10? There were about right? 100,000 people in 1915. So that, and at, at, at roughly 20 million people, that's... It was, it was a hundred, it was a hundred million. You said a hundred thousand. A hundred million. Yeah. And so 20 so, out of a hundred is 20%. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Crazy. It's a lot of people. And no, like not a lot of cars. 20% of the American population visited a eugenics fair in 1915. And how did they get there? Like, they really had to want to go. So he was an advocate of the progressive movement. What I'm going to tell you guys, progressivism in America is more dangerous than communism. Okay? So I want to, this YouTube right here, the one above, the one, the big one. I guess I do have it right there. If that one's big. Okay. Uh, minute uh, 1529, please. Okay. 
Stroll down the cereal aisle at any grocery store, and you'll find a myriad of choices for starting your day. Healthy and unhealthy. And if that didn't work, they would be cornflakes. He wanted to have a speech called the Red Onion Tavern. Age, he had performed around. That's good. Maintaining a consistent, controlling presence there, he also expanded his reach to open schools for hygiene, nursing, home economics, and physical education on sanitarian grounds. He served on the Michigan State Board of Health, wrote around 50 books on the subject of health, issued some of the first warnings on the dangers of smoking, and this is about to take a strange twist because he went on to co-found something less than admirable, the Race Betterment Foundation. This was exactly what it sounds like, an organization dedicated towards maintaining the superiority of certain races by selective breeding. Remember all those children that he and his wife fostered? It wasn't entirely out of the goodness of his heart, as the eugenics archives notes that most of the children were, in one way or another, deemed undesirables. Kellogg was hoping to make some sort of discovery on the influence of environment on heredity, and don't worry, it gets even worse. The Battle Creek Sanitarium was at the very center of the spread of eugenics throughout the U.S. during the early 20th century, and Kellogg devoted about 30 years of his life and a ton of his own money to the idea that excluding people with certain genes from the pool of breeding humans would improve humanity as a whole. So, exclude them how? While he was serving on Michigan State Board of Health, he successfully lobbied to pass a law that would call for the sterilization of mentally defective persons, a law that led to the involuntary sterilization of at least 3,800 people in the state. Kellogg and other believers preached that encouraging only certain people to reproduce would end all of the ills that the human race suffered from, from poverty to criminality, and to quote, feeble-mindedness. This superior race was, of course, the Caucasian one, and yes, there was a very real association that would later form with the Nazi party. Kellogg began to completely embrace eugenics after his falling out with the Seventh-day Adventists, a group who incidentally believed that all life was a gift from God. He became obsessed with the idea that if things continued as they were, mankind would begin to decay and degrade in quality until finally it simply ceased to exist. In 1914, Kellogg had become good friends with other leading figures of the eugenics movement, like Charles Davenport, founder of the Eugenics Record Office. They held the first race betterment conference at the San and one of his guest speakers was a former patient, Booker T. Washington. He was there to try and talk to attendees and convince them that everyone should be treated fairly and equally. The San, incidentally, was always a segregated facility. Conference attendees did more than just examine and measure around 5,000 children as part of the Better Babies contest. They also made it clear that they were going to start pushing their ideas further into the U.S. The second conference was held in 1915 at the Panama Pacific International Expedition, and it took the society's beliefs, clearly illustrated by charts highlighting the differences between superior and degenerate races, and put them squarely in front of 18 million visitors. He campaigned for the establishment of nationwide legislature similar to what had been established in Michigan, and even proposed a registry where people would be given pedigrees and patients who fell within the established guidelines for racial hygiene would be eligible for awards. There were a few things that brought down the eugenics movement, and the first was the extremes of Nazi Germany. Even before that, the troubles brought by the Great Depression proved to many that poverty and hardship had nothing to do with genetics, but eugenics legislation was still in place, and sterilizations were still practiced into the 1970s. As for Kellogg, he died in 1943. He nearly hit the century he had always proclaimed he would live to. He was 91 years old. So I really hope you found that video interesting. If you did, please do hit that thumbs. All right. So I'm actually going to go ahead and play a second video here. Michelle watched this documentary with me. Human zoos. So I'm actually going to start at, at minute, minute uh, 15 again. Uh, and they, the New York Zoo, they had all kinds of... Um, things on display at, um, I believe it was the World's Fair. But in New York, the New York Zoo had a short little guy from Africa. He was a pygmy. He was 4'11". Utabenga. And he, they put him on display. And supposedly, he was supposed to be their missing link. To sell to museums. He was also joined by Otabenga. Werner quickly departed New York, leaving Benga at the American Museum of Natural History in Manhattan. 
Established in 1869, the museum was already becoming one of the premier scientific institutions in the world. Otabenga was largely left free to wander the museum's exhibit halls. When Samuel Werner eventually returned to New York, he was fighting off creditors, and the museum wanted him to find new lodgings for Otabenga. So Werner worked out an agreement to move Otabenga to the New York Zoological Park, otherwise known as the Bronx Zoo. Spread over more than 260 acres, the Bronx Zoo had been envisioned by its founders as the largest zoo in the world and the grandest zoological establishment on Earth. The zoo was directed by William Temple Hornaday. A noted zoologist, Hornaday formerly worked at the Smithsonian and he had already founded the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Overseeing Hornaday was an executive committee chaired by Henry Fairfield Osborne, a distinguished professor at Columbia University. Hornaday and Osborne had dreams of exhibiting more than just animals at their new zoo. Both wanted to install Native Americans on zoo grounds, with Osborne promising that one day the Indian and his teepee would take their place next to the zoological park's buffalo. Now they had their chance to put their first human on display. Hornaday quickly agreed to purchase one of Werner's chimpanzees and to house both the chimp and Otterbenga at the zoo. Hornaday planned to exhibit the pygmy and the chimpanzee together in a cage in the zoo's monkey house. It was presented as science, not as a circus act because these were men of science who, who were doing this. Otabenga went on display in the monkey house on Saturday, September the 8th, 1906. The next day, a sign was placed on the cage explaining the new exhibit. The African Pygmy, Otabenga, age 23 years, height 4 feet 11 inches, weight 103 pounds, brought from the Kasai River, Congo Free State, exhibited each afternoon during September. Thousands of New Yorkers came to stare and laugh and debate the meaning of the display. Is it a man? Some of them wondered. Newspaper coverage brought even more people, and in just a few weeks, the zoo drew nearly a quarter million visitors. But the notoriety also brought controversy. New York's clergy, in particular, were horrified at what they saw as a dehumanizing spectacle. First to speak out was the Reverend Robert Stuart MacArthur, pastor of the city's Calvary Baptist Church one of the largest Baptist congregations in America. The person responsible for this exhibition degrades himself as much as he does the African. Instead of making a beast of this little fellow, he should be put in school. Ministers from New York's African-American community soon organized a protest committee. After visiting the zoo and seeing Benga for themselves, they were horrified. They thought it was outrageous. They clearly saw a human being who appeared to be afraid, um, uh, who was being heckled and jeered at and things thrown at him, and he was being, you know, debased in, in, on the hallowed grounds of the New York Zoological Society in, in New York City. The ministers demanded that Otabenga be taken off display and be offered an education. James H. Gordon, superintendent of the Howard Colored Orphan Asylum in Brooklyn, appealed to the zoo to end the spectacle. In disposing of the boy, why did he not apply to us? We would have seen that he was well cared for. Gordon also denounced the way the young African was being used as a prop to prove Darwinian evolution. This is a Christian country, and the exhibition evidently aims to be a demonstration of the Darwinian theory of evolution. The Darwinian theory of evolution absolutely is opposed to Christianity, and a public demonstration in its favor should not be permitted. Neither the Negro related to the monkey. Such an exhibition only degrades a human being's madhood. We do not like this 
this exhibition of one of our race with the monkeys. Our race we think is depressed enough without exhibiting one of us with the apes. We think we are worthy of being considered human beings with souls. So I want to know, Leah, why the Bronx Zoo has not had to issue a statement. They've literally covered it up. And they said, actually, he wasn't on exhibition. He was hired to work and help care for the the, the chimpanzees that were there. Yeah, I'm going to back this up just a little bit because I want to tell I want you guys to see this part. I'm on the World's Fair here. The most visited locations in the entire United States. The site of the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. Attracting more than 19 million visitors, the World's Fair was known for its lavish neoclassical buildings, its 22-story-high Ferris wheel, and the public debut of innovations such as the X-ray machine and the ice cream cone. But the fair had a darker side. Organizers imported thousands of indigenous peoples from around the world to be put on public display in what was essentially a giant human zoo. Unlike freak shows, the human zoo in St. Louis was created with the cooperation of America's scientific establishment. The man behind the human zoo was anthropologist William McGee. One of the nation's leading scientists, McGee had already served as acting president of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. In 1903, he was asked to head the anthropology department for the World's Fair. McGee had grand plans of presenting the story of human evolution by displaying representatives of what he considered lower stages of the human race. McGee's plans reflected the ideas of mainstream anthropology of the time. Anthropology was kind of founded on this idea of mapping um, civilization from the highest to the lowest, right? With the lowest at that time said to be Africans, and then you sort of move up. Leading men of science from Harvard and Princeton and Columbia University were saying that Africans were midway between an orangutan and a human being. Like many scientists of his day, McGee drew inspiration for his ideas on human development from Darwin's theory that humans had evolved from ape-like ancestors. If you guys haven't read The Descent of Darwin's Man, theory provided a template educate. for categorizing Africans as biological inferiors. His impact created a bandwagon effect on many scholars on both sides of the Atlantic. Africans were demeaned with terms like savages and compared to animals. Admittedly, some of these comparisons were used before Darwin, but after Darwin, they increasingly took on the authority of science. Darwin argued that the break in evolutionary history between apes and men came between Africans and Australian Aborigines and gorillas. In other words, he thought blacks were the closest humans to apes. German scientist Ernst Haeckel helped popularize the idea. Ernst Haeckel was the leading German Darwinist in the late 19th and early 20th century. Uh, he corresponded extensively with Darwin, and uh, Darwin recognized uh, Haeckel's affinity with his own theory. Ernst Haeckel also is known for uh, his raving racism. And in fact, he had a graphic of the history of human evolution that in very pointed terms really embedded a racist view of human evolution. You had the Teutonic male on the top, the sort of the Germanic male, and then at the bottom you had some creatures that looked uh, partly like apes, partly <laughs> like Jews. I've never seen an ape with a big nose. You like... have the transition from the ape-like creatures to the first human creatures. The ape-like creatures look pretty much like their 
Africans. And the takeaway point that Ernst Haeckel had from this graph was that the difference between the highest human being and the lowest human being, the gap between the highest Teutonic male and the first human being that was just one step above the apes, was larger than the gap between the lowest human being and the highest ape. At the St. Louis World Fair, William McGee expressed a similar view, arguing that scientists had now shown the structure of the lowest humans more nearly resembles that of the highest ape-like animals than that of the highest humans. Like other scientists of the era, McGee saw primitive non-white peoples as living evidence of man's evolutionary history. The savage stands strikingly close to So you to can see where this is going. This is kind of where eugenics actually gets it from racism. And I'm just going to skip here to right here. Francis Galton. But Darwin himself helped lay the groundwork for eugenics in his book, The Descent of Man. According to Darwin, human beings developed through a long and cruel process of natural selection or survival of the fittest. Less fit organisms died, leaving more capable organisms to reproduce and flourish. It was this ruthless process of elimination, not the foresight of a designer, that had propelled human beings to the top of the evolutionary ladder. But Darwin worried that modern society was now doing its best to undermine natural selection. We civilized men do our utmost to check the process of elimination. We build asylums for the imbecile, the maimed and the sick. We institute poor laws, and our medical men exert their utmost skill to save the life of everyone to the last moment. There is reason to believe that vaccination has preserved thousands, who from a weak constitution would formerly have succumbed to smallpox. No one who has attended to the breeding of domestic animals would doubt that this must be highly injurious to the race of man. Hardly anyone is so ignorant as to allow his worst animals to breed. A kindly man, Darwin was troubled by the implications of his theory sure, for society. But, it's really but his followers had a solution. They thought they could apply Darwinian selection rationally and humanely through mm. the science of eugenics, which became known as the self-direction of human evolution. Lot, like, kind of when they talk about eugenics it, was eagerly embraced by America's scientific elites. Sometimes today it's argued that eugenics was just fringe science, just a few people believed in it. Of course, we don't believe in it now. That ignores the fact that for Only decades, eugenics was what could be called the consensus view of the scientific community. It was definitely the Eugenics consensus. Congress at the American Museum of Natural History drew scientists from America's top research institutions, including Harvard, Yale, MIT, the Smithsonian, Ohio State, UC Berkeley, and the University of Texas. Participants included inventor Alexander Graham Bell, Alexander Graham Bell. and Charles Darwin's own son, and Leonard, Darwin's who son. lashed out at the threat biological defectives posed to modern society. Biological defectives. Scientists were welcomed to the Eugenics Congress by then-president of the American Museum of Natural History, Henry Fairfield scientists. Osborne. Trust the science, you idiots! display of Otto Benger at the Bronx Zoo. A future head of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Osborne had become one of the most celebrated scientific champions of evolution. Ah, in evolution's great. Soon he would become embroiled in a controversy with politician William Jennings. Oh, yeah, Bryan then he got the wrong tooth. A fossilized tooth. tooth discovered in Nebraska. It's a pig. Osborne insisted that the tooth supplied irrefutable Missing evidence link. of the existence of man like apes in ancient North America. Find him. To his embarrassment, the tooth later turned out to be part of an extinct pig. Yep. At the Eugenics Congress, Osborne told scientists that eugenics was essential to the future of human evolution. To know the worst as well as the best in heredity, yeah, to preserve and to select the best, these are the most essential forces in the future evolution of human society. Osborne also attacked racial intermarriage. 500,000 years of human evolution have impressed certain distinctive virtues as well as faults on each race. Put three races together, you are likely to unite the vices of all three as the virtues. Osborne argued that racial groups should be studied to determine what tasks each race is best fitted to accomplish. 
but it was clear that he already thought he knew the proper place of non-whites. If the Negro fails in government, he may become a fine agriculturalist or a fine mechanic. The American Museum of Natural History accompanied the Eugenics Congress with a major museum exhibition designed to sell eugenics to the American public. Participants included America's top publishers, insurance companies, government agencies, and Trust private groups like the American Red Cross. And the as American many as Red 10, Cross. We're only here for the special exhibition. There were no live humans put on display at the eugenics exhibit, but it was still a kind of human zoo. It put human racial groups under the microscope to judge their worth to society. There were displays highlighting differences between black and white babies in the womb. Displays comparing the mental stamina of different races. Displays reporting on the capabilities of immigrants. And displays showcasing equipment for measuring human intelligence and other features. There also were displays about the human brain. One compared the brains of criminals and non-criminals. But the most extensive brain display was created by anthropologist Alish Herdlichka from his growing collection of embalmed brains. Herdlichka left his original specimen stored. Okay, so I'm going to stop that one there. And I got one short clip here. Um, there's a whole series from PBS, and I know, I don't really trust PBS. On American Experience. It was almost a mania that sort of swept through the country. The slogans were simple, things like better babies and happy families. By the 20s, eugenics was a household word. You mean they're going to stop me from having children ever? When Adolf Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, he said Germans must emulate what the Americans are doing. The Eugenics Crusade on American Experience. Okay, all right. So now we're going to take our deep dive into Margaret Sanger, okay? So Margaret Sanger shaped the eugenics movement in America and beyond in the 1930s and 40s, okay? We, we heard about the foundation of it, right? Hitler, Dalton, uh, Carnegie, Ford, all these big guys, right? But it was really Margaret Sanger. And she took it, she took it a different place. You see, Sanger shaped eugenics movement uh, in her, in a, in a different way, her views and those of her peers in the movement contributed to compulsory sterilization laws in 30 U.S. states that resulted in more than 60,000 sterilizations of vulnerable people, including people she considered feeble-minded idiots and morons. She even presented at a Ku Klux Klan rally in 1926 in Silver Lake, New Jersey. She recounted this event in her autobiography. I accepted an invitation to talk to the women's branch of the Ku Klux Klan. I saw through the door dim figures parading with banners and illuminated crosses. I was escorted to the platform, was introduced, and began to speak. In the end, through simple illustrations, I believed I had accomplished my purpose. A dozen invitations to speak to smaller, similar groups were offered. All right, so let's bring up this YouTube and start at minute 215. YouTube here. It's up here. Oh, okay. Mrs. Margaret Slee, president of America's Planned Parenthood we'll Federation, maintains that European women should stop having babies for the next 10 years. That's a witch right there. But Mrs. Slee, in this country, having babies is the only thing left which is both unrationed and untaxed. Do you think we really ought to stop? Well, I suppose a subject like that is really so personal that it's entirely up to the parents to decide. But for my view, I believe that there should be no more babies. The term eugenics is basically a set of beliefs and practices that aim to improve the okay, genetic quality of a human population. She is an icon to left-wing groups due to her founding of Planned Parenthood in October 1916 with her sister, Ethel Byrne and Fannie Mendel, which was the first birth control clinic in Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. 
Nine days later, the police raided the clinic and arrested all the people involved for promoting birth control, which was illegal. Sanger refused to pay the fine and spent 30 days in jail. She then traveled the country preaching her concepts. Sanger then founded the American Birth Control League in 1921. Sanger also endorsed the 1927 decision Buck v. Bell, in which the Supreme Court ruled that states could forcibly sterilize people deemed unfit without their consent and sometimes without their knowledge. This American law would be the major defense at Nuremberg for the Nazi defendants who were doctors practicing Sanger's methods, and many would be found not guilty as a result of this defense. In 1939, Sanger began what was called the Negro Project, alongside black leaders like W.E.B. Du Bois, Mary McLeod Bethune, and Reverend Adam Clayton Powell. This was the plan to have black doctors performing on black patients to perpetuate the sterilization of blacks who were deemed inferior as many black patients were suspicious of white doctors. Following upon Sanger's eugenics platform, disguised as giving women access to birth control, the ABCL became Planned Parenthood Federation of America in 1942 after birth control was no longer considered illegal, at least among married couples. During this period, Sanger had critics and supporters. The supporters even today claim that she condemned abortion, arguing that it would not be needed if every woman had access to birth control. What they leave out is that Sanger only opposed abortions if that meant not producing the best, healthiest, most intelligent from Caucasian couples, for blacks, Jews, and brown-skinned people, as well as low-IQ white people and those with birth defects. They were not to be allowed. This was what the Nazis adopted. Ironically, in 1966, Planned Parenthood began issuing its Margaret Sanger Awards annually to honor individuals of distinction in recognition of excellence Of course they did. The of course they did. Yeah, the racial theories underpinning wait, Nazi wait, 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 wait. also friends with Adolf Hitler and a rabid would include House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Margaret Sanger was one of the few women to be given an honorific title and inducted into the Ku Klux Klan, and exalted by none other than Adolf Hitler and Dr. Joseph Goebbels. She was friends with the racist Democratic President Woodrow Wilson, Democratic fundraiser, and automobile maker Henry Ford, who was also friends with Adolf Hitler and a rabid anti-Semite and hater of black Americans. Margaret Sanger's rabid racism, anti-Semitism, and violent suggestions on eliminating all non-whites from American society endeared her to the eugenics crowd. She wanted an all-white, healthy, intelligent society built upon the concept of racial eradication years before Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party were even a thought. In 1934, the Nazi Party adopted her radical positions, with Goebbels saying, Margaret Sanger is the best National Socialist in America. In fact, the September 15, 1935 Nuremberg Laws classified races according to an insane chart drafted by Dr. Wilhelm Stuckart and Dr. Friedrich Kritzinger. The official name was the Reich Citizenship Law and the Law for the Protection of German Blood and German Honor. These laws embodied many of the racial theories underpinning Nazi ideology which they adapted from Margaret Sanger. These laws could provide the legal framework for the systematic persecution of Jews in Germany, who at that time were deemed a race and not a religion, and the eugenics behind them were taken from the world of Sanger. In fact, her theories and opinions influenced men like SS Captain Dr. Josef Mengele, the Beast of Auschwitz, and his associates, Dr. Karl Klauberg, Dr. Hertha Oberhäuser, Hitler's personal physician Dr. Karl Brandt, just to name a few. When Hitler authorized the Actium T4 euthanasia program to murder the handicapped, mentally ill, and other undesirables from German society, the doctors and nurses were given the program directly from Margaret Sanger's own philosophy. On August 18, 1939, the Reich Ministry of the Interior circulated a decree requiring all physicians, nurses, and midwives to report newborn infants and children under the age of three who showed signs of severe mental or physical disability. The man who started the program was Dr. Karl Brandt, and they were disguised as children's clinics and advertised that they would treat their abnormalities and infirmities. In fact, they were death centers, where the children were quietly killed and the cause of death misrepresented as by other means such as pneumonia, tuberculosis, etc. Dr. Brandt himself claimed that Sanger's methods were most effective and if performed correctly are ingenious. In Sanger's own words, she peddled racism, eugenics, contraception, abortion, while demonstrating a visceral hatred for children, parenthood, marriage, and the Catholic Church. The following quotes are directly from Margaret Sanger's own writings and interviews. 1. The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. 2. A marriage license shall in itself give husband and wife only the right to a common household and not 
the right of parenthood. 3. All of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. Knowledge of birth control is essentially moral. Its general, though prudent, practice must lead to a higher individuality and ultimately to a cleaner race. 4. Blacks, soldiers, and Jews are a menace to the human race. Number 5. The masses of Negroes, particularly in the South, still breed carelessly and disastrously, with the result that the increase among Negroes, even more than among whites, is from that portion of the population least intelligent and fit. Number 6. Birth control appeals to the advanced radical because it is calculated to undermine the authority of the Christian churches. I look forward to seeing humanity free someday of the tyranny of Christianity, no less than capitalism. Number 7. Every single case of inherited defect, every malformed child, every congenitally painted human being brought into this world is of infinite importance to that poor individual. But it is scarcely less important to the rest of us and to all of our children who must pay in one way or another for these biological and racial mistakes. Number 8. It now remains for the United States government to set a sensible example to the world by offering a bonus or a yearly pension to all obviously unfit parents who allow themselves to be sterilized by harmless and scientific means. Margaret Sanger, the woman heralded by the Democrats and left-wing ideologues in the United States for her positions on women's reproductive rights, always failed to include her genocidal positions on ethnic cleansing. She died on September 6, 1966 in Tucson, Arizona. But Margaret Sanger was not alone. The late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Gator Ginsburg okay, said in the New York Times that interview... One there. Thank you very much for... That just really exciting enlightenment of all things. Lorraine says a demon. Um, Kathleen says the Democrats want a one world order. They have opened our border to bring millions from all of the world in. The They hate white people and they want CRT. How has the original eugenics morphed into today's CRT? They don't hate white people. They think that they, they think that you will. They love themselves. Because it's white it's people. It's all a lie. It's a bunch of white people. It's a lie to create hatred amongst each other, to yeah. get you to think that they do, because they're all white. Yeah. Okay? And that's the trick of it. The devil always tricks, and if you think the lie is they're attacking white people, you miss the plot. You miss the plot. They are not attacking white people right now. They are white. Have you seen Joe Biden? Have you seen Hillary but Clinton? Have they you seen are attacking Christian evangelicals. Yes. And they are attacking people of the lower class that they don't like that yeah. often includes white people so yeah they are they're attacking in, in christian attacking conservatives and in america right what they want is the majority of christians in if you're america, if you're a poor redneck and you're white which most poor rednecks are white but they they the would thing. like to obliterate you from the the, the planet just but, exchange stop full stop exchange conservative for white because what do they do to larry elder well, you're an Uncle Tom. You must be white. Yeah. Even Candace Owen. You're Uncle Tom. You must be white. It's not whiteness. Exactly. They're not attacking. You think that they are. You've bought into their lie. Critical race theory is about attacking evangelical Christians of all races and creeds and getting people to attack one another while they laugh to the bank. Mark Zuckerberg is a daggone white guy. But you're right, Kathleen. They, they do want one world order. They absolutely do. I'm going to read a couple more um, uh, quotes here from Margaret Sanger. While I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded and the insane and the syphilitic, I have not been able to discover that these measures are more than superficial deterrents when applied to the constantly growing stream of the unfit. They are excellent means of meeting a certain phase of the situation, but I believe in regard to these, as, as in regard to other eugenic means, that they do not go to the bottom of the matter. You see, eugenics without birth control seems a, to, to us a, a house built upon sands. 
It is the mercy of the rising stream of the unfit. Stop our national habit of human waste. By all means, there should be no children when either mother or father suffers from such diseases as tuberculosis, gonorrhea, syphilis, cancer, epilepsy, insanity, drunkenness, and mental disorders. In the case of the mother, heart disease, kidney trouble, and pelvic deformities are also serious bar to childbearing. No, no more children should be born when the parents, though healthy themselves, find that their children are physically and mentally defective. The main objects of the Population Congress would be applied to a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progenity is tainted and, and whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring to give certain dysgenic groups in our population their choice of segregation or sterilization. Do you understand what she said there? If you have some sort of issue, you, you go and literally segregation, you don't get married, you don't move in society or sterilization. This is insanity stuff. This is the head. This is the basis of, of, of Planned Parenthood. Of Remember, it's, is it Planned Parenthood or is it no, it's, population control? It's, it's under the, it says Planned Parenthood. Okay. And we're going to talk about natural family planning here when, when we get a little I bit into it, maybe. Are. Okay. Today we're not, but I do want to make the correlation guys. Whenever you are quote unquote planning a family you're planning not to you're have a family planning not to have a family or to have a limited number of families so planned parenthood i've always looked at it and i know you guys have too and you're looking at that title and you're like wait a minute it's really to plan not to have children any kind of plan family planning is is to plan to limit your number of children and, and Margaret Sanger said in a 1957 interview with Mike Wallace, I think the greatest sin in the world is, is bringing children into the world, you see, that have disease from their parents, that have no chance in the world to be a human being practically. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just marked when they're born. And that, to me, is a greater sin that people can, can, can commit, you see. Uh, and so she also says this, you see, like the advocates of birth control, like the advocates, and I'm going to see you guys make, please underline this, and here we will make the turn. Eugenics, Margaret Sanger, and population control. Follow me and do not leave, please. Listen to her closely. This is the devil speaking. Like the advocates of birth control, the eugenicists, for instance, are seeking to assist the race toward the elimination of the unfit, you see. Both are seeking a single end, but they lay emphasis upon different methods. You see, eugenics without birth control seems to us a house builded upon sands. It is the, at the mercy of the rising stream of the unfit. You see, we must have birth control. Because prior to 1930, and actually prior to 1965, there were. There was not allowed to be birth control because the Comstock laws we just discussed, it was illegal prior to 1965 by good Christian moral people made birth control illegal. 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 And Margaret Sanger put her life, her fortune, her second honor on the line to do what? To kill children. To promote birth control. And to brainwash the masses. So I will say this again. As Christians voted for issue one and Hillary Clinton praised it and said good job and Planned Parenthood praised it and said good job. When you Christians... Against it. Against it. Right, right. When Christians promote birth control, just let you know, Margaret Sanger says yes. Good, good, good job. Uh, good, good, good job. Good yes. Job. And it is, this is so basic. And again, I want to remind people that are yes. just joining us. Well done. We started well, out. A good and faithful servant enter into Margaret Sanger's palace of hell. 
We started out today's show by saying this is the most controversial show that we probably have ever done. And up till now, I think you're going with us. You're like, wow, this is all so wrong. Of course, this is evil. Who is happier when Christians use birth control, God or Satan? Satan. And Margaret Sanger, who's burning Who in hell right now. Who is happier when Planned Parenthoods get put in black neighborhoods? Satan. And Margaret Sanger. Guys, when you find yourself on the side of the enemy, we must step back and ask, what is going on? So the devil came for the unfit, the undesirable, the black, the colored, the feeble-minded. And then the devil came for you. And then you were both boiled in the same pot. Follow me, please do not stop. Because I want you to hear it from our own words. Margaret Sanger, birth control and racial betterment. Birth control review. She had a do magazine you, called The Birth Control Do you have an review. answer to this question? Because I know that there I know there were some. What? How many abortions did Margaret Sanger have? I feel like she did have some, didn't she? I don't know. Somebody Google it. I don't I don't know, personally. I want to say she was like she was promiscuous. I, um, I don't know. I know that she wishes she weren't born in a large family. Yeah. So I think she, here's the thing. I don't think that she had abortions because I think she knew how to, I think she, there were, she knew ways not thing. to get pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in this article, Sanger explains that, uh, in the, in, uh, what way she disagrees with eugenics. She does not believe in encouraging fit people to have more children. You see, she was different than eugenics. She says that, let me um, read some because you're going to get your voice again. Well, get I'm not done yet. I'm going to finish the sentence. Okay. Because it's a thought. Oh, okay. Okay. So she does not believe in this article. She does not believe that fit people should have more children. So she differs from eugenicists. Eugenics was all about the fit people having kids, but she didn't believe that fit people she should have children. She just felt like everyone should stop having children. Should only have one or two kids. Right. Um, and, but she does approve of limiting the fertility of the unfit negative eugenicists. She says the emergency problem of segregation. Oh, you got to read it like she The emergency was. problem of segregation and sterilization must be faced immediately. Moreover, when we realize that each feeble-minded person is, in a, is a potential source of an endless progeny of defect, we prefer the policy of immediate sterilization. Her only objection to sterilization actually was limited in its efficacy. While I personally believe in the sterilization of the feeble-minded, the insane, and the syphilitic, I have not been able <clears throat> to discover the, that these measures are more than superficial deterrents when applied to the con constantly growing stream of the unfit. They are excellent means of meeting a certain phase of the situation, but I believe in regard to these, as in regard to another, uh, other eugenic means, that they do not go to the bottom of the matter. The bottom of the matter is that she doesn't want anybody to have kids, period, okay? Birth control and racial betterment. In the end, uh, Sanger believed that nothing would replace birth control as the necessary eugenic tool. Margaret Sanger supported direct government coercion and sterilization of the poor. It now remains for the United States government to set a sensible example to the world by offering a bonus or yearly pension to all obviously unfit parents who allow themselves to be sterilized by harmless and scientific means. In this way, the moron and the diseased would have no posterity to inherit the, uh, their unhappy condition. Ask the government to first take off the burdens of the insane and feeble-minded from your backs. Sterilization for these is the remedy. So she was going to have the government pay people to voluntarily get sterilized. Yeah, she actually also called for <clears throat> Congress to set up a parliament of population, among whose tasks would include to apply, to apply a stern and rigid policy of sterilization and segregation to that grade of population whose progeny is already tainted or whose inheritance is such that objectionable traits may be transmitted to offspring and to give certain dysgenic groups in our population a choice. This sounds like the vaccine. You sure have a does. choice. Yeah, you have a choice of segregation, just going off. We're going to put you on an island. 
I don't know, with all women, probably, and then men over here, or sterilization. You have a choice. Right. It's a, it's a choice, right? So uh, Harry H. Lachlan wrote in the Model Sterilization Law for Eugenic Sterilization, the law in which the Nazis later based their 1933 sterilization law on, Lachlan was on Sanger's American Birth Control uh, League board. And I wrote this. As I was going through this, and as, as I knew that every single one of you used birth control, and you're all watching right now, every single one of you. And when we say birth control, we mean any means of controlling birth. You guys all do it. You all have. And I'm here to tell you that it's wrong. And I'm waiting for all y'all to, to drop this stream. <laughs> Please don't. Please. Because I, I wrote this, and, and I'm going to tell you what I wrote. I have tears in my eyes. My heart is heavy. Lord, in the face of such pressure to limit children for financial or even health reasons, how do I deliver this message you have put upon my heart? Tell them about my love for children. Yes, Lord, I know you love children. So must, most couples have two or even three. They love their children very much, but they want to space them out. They want to give their children the best life possible. How can I argue with that? Is it their job? To provide for those children or is it me do you really believe that the sun rises or sets because of their work or effort do they believe the rain comes down or the crops come up somehow on their own all human effort is meaningless when detached from the purposes and the blessings of god tell them tell them children are my blessings to them well what about the single people what about the barren tell them i have blessings for them too Tell them life and death, even marriage, are in the hands of God. Tell them what you feel right now. I feel sadness. I feel a great, deep sadness, Lord, that I can't put into words. I see the voices of millions of babies, not just destroyed in abortion, but who were destroyed by careless acts of sexual activity that were divorced from the purpose of the act of, and, and from pleasure only. Purpose. Divorced from pleasure it's promiscuity is what he told me. Webster's 1828 definition of promiscuous is not what I thought it was. It means mingled, consisting of individuals united in a mass without order. It's confused. It's common. It's indiscriminate. And so he said the purpose of sexual union with that he had for you divorced from pleasure. So when you have pleasure only by itself, away from the purpose, it's disordered. It's confused. Married couples who copulate without being open to new life are denying the very foundation of marriage. Why did God make two into one? Has not the Lord made them one, having a portion of the spirit? And why one? Because he seeks a godly seed, a godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth, Malachi 2.15. So be sad. Let your tears flow. Mourn not just for the unborn, but the unwanted the discarded, but mourn for those, mourn for the loss that those who disregarded my blessings must endure, not just in this life, but in the life to come. When they see the seeds that they prematurely aborted, oh. when they see the family they could have had in heaven, I will tell you right now, and I saw a vision as you guys watch, wow. if you're married, I saw you go to heaven and you go to heaven with your two or three kids. And I saw you have so many more and they were there for you and they were going to be your blessings. But you told God you didn't want them. And in effect, you killed them. And so 
just as a person who needs to ask forgiveness for abortion and the guilt that they feel, you need to feel the same guilt. And only when you feel the guilt can Jesus forgive you of that guilt and wash it away. But he can't wash it away because you don't know, you haven't asked for forgiveness for it yet. And I'm, please don't turn this off. Please, please, please. I have so much more for you, please. Because this is not a mess of condemnation. Please, whatever you do, do not turn off. Please don't go away. You see, many think that, that life begins at conception. But the conception of life begins with the sexual union and the potential to conceive. If the potential to conceive is there, meaning the sperm from a man would have under natural or unaltered circumstances entered into the egg of a woman during the proper time of her ovulation. This was a word from God, a, a divine prophetic word from God. I wrote this down for you guys. And I've been struggling to give this to you guys, so please don't go anywhere. Then, And I'm, this is not the quiverful movement where I'm telling you have as just go and have sex all the time and have as many children as as and, and just keep have pop 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 popping out. What I'm saying is do not divorce purpose from pleasure. Okay? However you do that, you do it with the with the vine with you and God. But do not divorce purpose from pleasure. That is what I'm saying. If you have been sterilized, if you are taking birth control, you are, you've already permanently divorced pleasure from purpose. It's a permanent act. And you're in every single, every single moment. I'm not telling you that you have to have sex every single time. That's not what I'm saying here at all. I'm saying that the mindset, if you are, if, if you have divorced and I'm going to play a clip for you and I really wish I could find it. Um, I'm going to play it for you. So just don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. Because please don't stop. You actually cut off your divine sentence. You're okay. going to start it from scratch again. Okay, but the conception of life begins with, uh, oh, okay, see. If the when, potential to conceive is there, meaning the sperm from a man would have under natural or unaltered yeah, 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 yeah. circumstances entered into the egg of a woman during the proper time of her ovulation, then that conception, the idea that a life can conceivably be created, even though dead on arrival, the blessing, the shadow, the dream, the essence of that child is snuffed out. You will see, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you that you will see those you could have had when you see the ones that had the spark of life in true conception in heaven. Would you play these videos on the spark of life, please? This this video, if you guys have never seen the spark of life, and when Lee and I were very prayerfully, and we um, invited Samantha and Mark, and that's Sir Thriving Mama in the chat, and Patriot Nana, um, John and Stacy to pray for us and Jason Heidinger to pray for us. They all knew about this episode uh, coming into this. And so this is so wait, cool. Let me finish my thought. Okay. And they, we asked them to pray with us because we knew that this was going to be a very, very serious episode. This is, like I said, the most controversial show we've ever done. But when we were talking about this, I told Leah, I said, we must play the video of the spark of life. And so what Leah's talking about is when you get to heaven, there will have been children that this moment, this spark of life happened and you in your whatever form of birth control snuffed it out. That child is in heaven. And I believe truly that a lot of you guys are going to get to heaven and you may have hundreds of kids. I don't know. But watch this spark well, of life. The, actually, what I was talking about there. I know what you were talking about. I'm. You were saying even the potential of it. But I'm saying very easily, everyone should be able to say that the spark of life right here. Um, and I think that most people don't realize how many times this has happened in their bodies. Mm -hmm.
This footage shows the exact moment a sperm makes contact with an egg. You can see what looks like a spark of electricity that erupts on a cellular level. But what is it? And why does it happen? Could it be the start of consciousness? Or is it just a mere biological process that happens whenever fertilization occurs? When a sperm makes contact with an egg, a flash of light is produced indicating that the egg has been successfully fertilized and can now develop into a healthy embryo. The spark itself occurs when the fertilized egg releases billions of atoms of zinc. These atoms are released at the exact moment of conception. Some eggs produce brighter sparks than others, depending on their ability to develop into a healthy embryo. This natural process controls the development of a healthy embryo. The more zinc is released, the brighter the flash that's produced by an egg. Brighter flashes indicate a healthier embryo. This discovery could revolutionize in vitro fertilization treatment. It will allow doctors to determine the health of an embryo before implanting it into the egg and stop any additional sperm from getting in. In other words, once an individual sperm is successful, the egg will shut down all other entry points to block other sperm from coming in. In order to do this, the egg uses zinc to make its outer wall stronger and impenetrable. What's incredible is that this process only takes microseconds. On a biochemical level, several chemical reactions have to happen for the zinc to be released. Yet all these chemical reactions happen so fast that as soon as the first sperm is in, all others are blocked from entering the egg. So how did scientists manage to see them? In order to view these flashes of light, the researchers use advanced fluorescent sensors. So I'm going to pause that there, and I want to play this video for you on um, baby Olivia. So a friend of ours, actually, who worked on one of the cre oop, one of the creation movies, uh, helped to create baby Olivia. And I'm just going to play a little bit of baby Olivia here. This is Olivia. Though she has yet to greet the outside world, she has already completed an amazing journey. This is the moment that life begins. A new human being has come into existence. At fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks in one day, just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. The buds of her arms and legs appear by four weeks. She begins to move between five and six weeks with both spontaneous and reflexive movements. At six weeks from fertilization, her brain activity can be recorded and bone formation begins. She can bring her hands together at seven and a half weeks and separate fingers and toes emerge she can also begin to hiccup. At the beginning of the ninth week, Olivia will have grown from a single cell into nearly one billion cells, and she is now called the fetus. She will suck her thumb and swallow, grasp an object, touch her face, sigh and stretch. At 11 weeks, she is playing in the womb, moving her body and exploring her environment. 
Her taste bud cells have matured by week 12, but are still scattered throughout her mouth. Her mother will first sense Olivia's movements between 14 and 18 weeks, an event called quickening. Beginning at 18 weeks, ultrasounds show speaking movements in her voice box. Around 20 weeks, with a lot of help, babies have survived outside the womb. At 27 weeks, her eyes are responding to light. She can recognize her parents' voices and will even recognize lullabies and stories. Olivia has gone on an amazing journey during these last nine months. She will soon signal to her mother that it is time for delivery and greet the outside world. Yeah, baby, Olivia. All right, so we're going to talk more about how awesome kids are. And if you didn't cry by that, you're not human. Um, <laughs> I didn't cry. I did. But not, you feel it. If you human. don't feel it. All right, so I'm going to go to 1914. In 1914, in March, Margaret Sanger's radical journal, journal, The Woman Rebel, she instructs women on times when it would be wise for women to avoid pregnancy, such as in the case of illness or poverty. <laughs> In 1915, Anthony Comstock dies, but his anti-birth control laws actually remain entrenched, and they are, again, still on the books. Uh, March, in New York City, a group of women from the National Birth Control League, um, a, it was a part of the uh, International Planned Parenthood Federation. There was a march. In 1916, Manger, uh, Sanger returns to New York to face a trial. The charges against her were dropped, but she continues to challenge the Comstock laws. And brazenly, so this lets you know, during the time of Margaret Sanger, she was bursting down the walls of birth control. Yeah. She did. She was pretty much single-handedly. The other ones wanted eugenics. We're going to sterilize. We're going to help people have, um, have good babies. But we really just, the men wanted to just to sterilize. Mm -hmm. But Margaret Sanger wanted birth control because she wanted to limit all births from all across from life. And so she was... She was the person who, who was pushing it. Before that, people just had kids. Right. Just F FYI, people just had kids. Now, there were, they, there were certain different kinds of birth control from the beginning of time. Right. Okay? Um, and we're going to get to some of those quotes in the uh, church fathers talked about. But by and large, Christians actually believed that this particular act was for children, and so they just had kids. If you look back at our family tree uh, with the woofers, uh, it's a beautiful tree with beautiful Philomena and, and just all these beautiful names. And there's like 11 kids. There's so many kids. Well, and in the Bible, I think, and Leah, you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you've got this probably in your blog somewhere, but I'm just going to say it. We only see one instance where someone was trying not to have children. Yes. And that's Onan. All of, so when we look and at- And he was killed. All of the patriarchs and God. matriarchs in the Bible, especially all the matriarchs. Wanted as many kids as God gave them. They were desiring God for children and never once would have said to God, I want to control how many children come from my womb. No, because they believe in Deuteronomy 18.6. Exactly. All right. So Margaret Sanger, on October 16th, Sanger and her sister and a friend opens their first, first birth control clinic in America. So Michelle- the revelation red pill and the rapture is based on what? The fact that there is a new ideology that came about about 150 years ago. Yes. Birth control is even younger than that. Right. And it came about not by John Darby or Schofield, but by Sanger. So if you're practicing birth control, population, it's, it's actually called population control. If you are practicing population control, you are part of the one world order. You're part of the new world order. You are, you're practicing with them. And let's, let's put this into perspective though. When we're talking about 
birth control. We're not we need talking to say about world, I actually the Lord told me to say population. That's control. fine. When we're talking about population control and controlling Individual the population, population, like you said, you're not telling people go out and have a ton of kids because we have we've talked about these topics on our show before and people will look at Leah and I and they're like, "Well, you guys aren't married. You're not populating the earth first of all." We are doing what God has called us to do, and we do believe that God will bless us with children one day. This, but it's not about what today's show is about. Is that and and can I give Jason's punchline? Just the one line. Actually, I ha I sent it to you in an email. Can I give the one punchline though? Yeah, play. He it says for it's it. not play it, play it though, so he can let him say it. I okay, it well I did. Email. I have a thought that I wanted okay. to finish. When we're sex without children without the purpose of children is what we are talking about here. Leah and I, and I'll say it loud and proud, are not having sex with anybody. Okay, let's not get crazy. And if we were, it would be for okay. the purpose of children under the sanctity of marriage. We're not getting crazy. Okay. But when you do that act before God, why did he bring two together as one? To make you feel something good with your partner, to make you feel like you're one with your partner. No, to bring about a godly seed. And when you separate the that sacred act from the actual purpose, then it is an abomination before God. Yeah, I think that that's the one I want you to play. So I wanted to right. share this here because well, there's a lot. They just can't see it. So I was at control. See it from what you're doing. Okay. So I'm going to have to take control. Okay. What time do you want it at that timestamp? I wanted like a 45 seconds in. All right. So Jason gave me permission to share this. Uh, this was in a personal message um, that Jason sent. So, so I wanted second. to share this here because there's a lot okay. going on in that. I got it. Okay. We said 45 seconds? I think so. Right there. That's probably good. All right. Controlling having kids, so birth okay, control and abortion takes the responsibility. So this is just something birth would remote. Is going to be with me, but it's now you have the pro and you can okay. do that. Um, but I have no problem with you guys using the video yeah, for I got that. Then Sunday when we were at church, um, I video. was actually during worship one. and God started speaking to me one? something. So yeah. controlling having kids, controlling having kids, so birth control and abortion takes the responsibility. So this is just something I wrote. Um, I can send it to you in writing. Controlling having kids, so birth control and abortion takes the responsibility of sex so it can be had without regret or reduced regret and becomes about pleasure not reproducing. The question is not, because everybody says, are you ready to be married? Um, the real question is, are you ready to have kids? That's it. But with birth control, that has allowed us to shift the question to, are you ready to be married versus are you ready to have kids? Which is, it's a mind shift shift. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to be married. It's just me and I'm gonna be my wife. We're gonna do all this for a long period of time. And it's not even a thought. Marriage isn't even thought about as kids. Some people don't even, that's not even something they talk about when they're entertaining a potential spouse. It's all just about what they're going to do. And so birth control has shifted the mindset and the thought away from, are we ready to have kids to just, are we ready to be married? And so that was something the Lord showed me in this whole thing as you're bringing up the discussion. Then we have to shift back to, if you're not ready to have kids, you're not ready to be in a relationship, in a courtship, to where you're even going to be married because you're not even thinking along the right lines why marriage was incorporated, which was reproduction, and why um, God made it. So there's sex in the marriage bed is for reproduction. So that was just a thought I had at church yesterday. All right, so here's the deal. 
my mom reminds me, we are going to change the way that we refer, refer to Jason. Oh yeah, doctor, doctor, Reverend Dad, doctor, no. Dr. Just, Reverend Dad. Okay, Dr. Reverend Dad. So his son has him in his phone as Dr. Reverend Dad. Jason is a doctor. I knew he was a chiropractor, so I knew he was a doctor, but he never addressed himself as doctor. So we were talking about it the other day. So Leah was like, wait a minute, he's not a doctor. I said, yes, he's a doctor. So she sent him a message. She said, yes, I am a doctor. So from now on, it's Dr. Heidinger. You got Dr. Naputi, a chiropractor. Dr. Artis, a chiropractor. Dr. Heidinger, he says he goes by Dr. Jason. Okay, so, but, but what so I much. love about this coming from Jason is that Jason gave this a lot of thought and a lot of prayer, and yeah. he said it in such a perfect way that mm -hmm. if you are not, it's not about, are you ready to get married? Mm -hmm. It's, are you ready to have children? Because yeah. as soon as you come together with that person, you will be having children, Lord willing, or the possibility to have children is there. And that's, I think when we talk to young people, we don't emphasize the purpose of marriage. We're like, oh, you, do you love the person? Do you want to spend the rest of your life with this person? When the first question should be, is God calling you to create a godly seed with this person? And if so, now we'll talk. And, and I think that the focus has absolutely and wholly shifted. When Abraham sent his servant to go and get Rebecca, to go get a wife for his son, he's like, my son, ready to get married, ready to have kids, goes and finds Rebecca. Rebecca didn't come to be the, I'm, I'm slaughtering a sacred cow here, guys. Rebecca did not come to be the wife of Isaac. Rebecca came to be the mother of Isaac's children. And to comfort her, after, comfort him after his And to died. comfort him after his mother That's died. That's true. But when we look at the lineage, I'm telling you. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yes. the purpose of these righteous men yeah. was to carry the seed of Abraham that you and I are now a part of. And if at any point they had decided to block up that seed or take it into their own hands, heaven help them. And I will let you in on another secret about Rebecca. When they got married, she, I don't know how young she was. I think she was pretty young. She didn't start popping out a bunch of kids. And finally, at some point, Isaac was like, i got to start praying for my wife to have kids. And as soon as he started praying for his wife to bear children, she conceived twins, Whoa. a double portion. Yeah. When you husbands pray for your wife and you lay hands on them and you say, when we get together in this sacred, beautiful act, I am believing God for children. God will give you a double portion. Yes. You can try to get that off my phone into wherever I it can't seem to find it's, it's nine minutes. So I don't, it's not transferring. It's not to send it. I email. can get it from, well, okay. Do you know, is it, did you download it? It's you downloaded on it? my phone. No, but I can't send it in emails too big. Oh, well, we, we retrain. And I can't seem you to get it. You didn't go to wastetransfer.com? Uh, I don't know how to do that stuff. Yes, you do. I've showed you. Okay, so for many years prior to the advent of the modern birth control, uh, spearheaded by Planned Parenthood founder Margaret uh, Sanger, families did not generally try to take uh, control in this area. But they let happen what would happen. Early Christian leaders condemned it as actually as a crime. Uh, birth control was actually illegal 
in the U.S. for some uh, for for many years because of the Comstock laws from 1873 to 1972. Uh, and actually, the Comstock laws—I have news for you; those laws are actually still in the book. Congress has never re repealed them. What happened was the Supreme Court, all on their own, in a case called Griswold versus Connecticut. And do you guys remember what happened when Roe versus Wade was overturned? Uh, the Supreme Court mentioned that Griswold would have to be looked at again because it was based up, uh, upon the same uh, predicate that Roe was, and that was that um, it's uh, the Supreme Court invalidated a Connecticut law that made it a crime to use birth control in 1965. 1965. So again, 1965, it was illegal to use birth control or sell birth control or send it in the mail. 1965. 1965. Okay. Uh, why did that? Because Christians put those laws on the books because they were led by the Holy Spirit. To use birth control devices or to advise anyone about their use. You could not send any sort of sterilization equipment in the mail. You could not send birth control in the mail. My grandma had this weird thing that she hung up on the thing. Oh, come this on. Weird You're bag telling me I go too far? I'm just letting people know. It's pretty gross. She washed herself out. She onaned. Yeah. Uh, the court applied and then she had tons of horrible yeast infections for the rest of her life. It was awful. Um... The court applied the due process clause of the 14th Amendment to incorporate the Bill of Rights protections of the states. In doing so, um, it's the longer one. Well, I don't have a timestamp on it. It's this one right here. Okay, great. Oops, oh. sorry. Well, now you're pressing buttons. The 14th Amendment into... Um, to incorporate the Bill of Rights protections to the states. In doing so, it found that Connecticut law, it said that Connecticut law was unconstitutional because it violated the right to privacy within marriages, a right not listed in the Constitution, by the way. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read to you the Comstock law. Every, and this was passed by Congress in the 1800s. Every written or printed card, letter, circular, book, pamphlet, advertisement, or notice of any time, kind giving information directly or indirectly on how or by what means conception may be prevented, whoever shall knowingly deposit or cause to be deposited for mailing or delivery anything declared by this section to be non-mailable or shall knowingly take or cause the same to be taken from the mails for the purpose of circulating or disposing thereof or of aiding in the circulation or disposition thereof shall be fined not more than $5,000 or imprisoned not more than five years or both. Now, the current wording that I can find on this is a little bit dissimilar from that. Um, it says every written or printed card, letter, circular, pamphlet, advertisement, or notice of any kind giving information directly or indirectly where or how or from whom or by what means of any such mentioned matters, articles, or things may be obtained or made or whereby or whom any act or operation of any kind for the procuring or producing of abortion will be done or performed or how or by what means abortion may be produced whether sealed or unsealed and every paper writing advertisement or representation of any article instrument substance drug medicine or any other thing may or can be used or applied for the producing of abortion or for any indecent or immoral purpose and every description calculated to induce or incite a person to so use or apply any such article, instrument, substance, drug, medicine, or thing is declared to be non-mailable matter and shall not be conveyed in the mails or delivered from any post office or any letter carrier. And then it says, whoever knowingly uses the mails for mailing carriage or mails or delivery of anything declared by this section to be non-mailable or knowing causes to be delivered by mail according to the direction thereof, blah, blah, blah. Um, you actually have that. So you have um, right here an article from um, The Hill in February. 
the Biden DOJ is wrong. Federal law bars mailing abortion drugs. So most abortions today aren't performed surgically. Rather, the growing majority result from taking drugs designed to induce abortion. Um, and then the article goes on to say this provision, it says um, the, the Post Office Act that I just read, is in 18 U.S. Code 1461 of the Federal Criminal Code. And it's just as straightforward. It designates a non-mailable matter, every article or thing designated, adapted, or intended for producing abortion. But it goes farther than that. It says anything indecent. So why aren't we actually fulfilling the laws on the books? And where are the Christian lawyers to say playboy or anything through the mail? And now I dare say that Congress would say the internet is no different than the mail. And so porn is illegal or any sort of information to tell you how to limit birth that is, they, they, they said that that was indecent and or immoral. Right. Okay. And that can't be allowed either. That, I mean, here's the thing. That is as far as our founding fathers went and our good, good men and women went. And they did for many, many years. So I'm going to go over some of these things so you guys understand. Let me read some of them. Okay. So 23 states had, uh, at that time, go ahead. Make it a crime to publish or advertise a contraceptive or information. And then they're listed there. 22 states include in their prohibition drugs and instruments for the prevention of consumption. I think this would include condoms. 11 states make it a crime to have in one's possession any instruction for contraception. Just an instruction. 14 states make it a crime to tell anyone where or how contraceptive knowledge may be acquired. Six states prohibit the offer to assist in any method, whatever, which would, whatever, I don't know what that means, uh, which would lead to knowledge by which contraception might be accomplished. Eight states prohibit de depositing in the post office any contraceptive information. One state, Colorado, prohibits the bringing into the state any contraceptive knowledge. Four states have lawsuits authorizing the search for and laws. seizure, uh, excuse me, laws authorizing the search for and seizure of contraceptive instructions, Colorado, Idaho, okay, Iowa, and Oklahoma. Okay. Well, I just felt like those four states were important. I don't know what's going on in Colorado. They legalized uh, marijuana. Okay, so mainstream America culture, American culture did not view birth control well, okay? I just, you guys need to know this. When did it come about? For 2,000 years, Christians have detested birth control. I'm going to give you the quotes in a minute if you stay with us. But throughout history, Christianity has been openly opposed to contraception, with many religious leaders in the past um, thoroughly demonizing the use of contraception, despite the practice being used in med the Mediterranean area, era since the uh, area since before the Common Era, before BC. The first recorded show of the Christian faith being against contraception is the Diachi. Didachi. Didachi. An early Christian treatise written around 70 A.D. So, if you want to go back, what did Paul believe? What did John believe? What did the apostles believe? Which condemns, John would have, John was an apostle. Yes. When this was written. Right. And it condemns the use of contraception along with abortion, infanticide, adultery, and other sins. And I'm sorry, it's not actually in a scripture, but this is dated as 70 AD. And it says, this theme of Christian culture continued through the centuries until some churches accepted the use of contraceptions. Um, and I actually had that up. And I want to tie this again it. with the timing of the church. Mm -hmm. The church was the last stone wall against contraception. Mm -hmm. But once the false end times theology started creeping its way and people were like, well, we're just going to get raptured out of here. Maybe we shouldn't actually have kids. Right. And they started to separate the purpose from the pleasure. 
it's it, guys this is all tied together and not just tied together from the complete opposite of what God wants, which is advancing the kingdom of God, the blessings of Deuteronomy 8 and 28, which are kingdom scriptures, where we are blessed in every area, most especially in the fruit of our wombs. So that it's kingdom from that aspect, but it's also the opposite of it is darkness in the exact same vein, the exact same timeline, and the direct result of false modern end times theology. That is why... This is a Revelation Red Pill episode. So I'm going to add this. We are going to get to some good news here in a second. And I want to read a couple of comments while Leah's still looking that, looking that up. Um, Lorraine says, God literally gave me a double portion with my firstborn twins. Hallelujah. Kathleen says, I could not wait to get married and have a family. I became blessed with my first daughter one month after we married. That's awesome. Now this um, comment from her also is very important to read. She said, I had to have a hysterectomy at 35. My last son was born when I was 28. My biggest regret was not having another after him prior to my health issues. Lord, please forgive me. And not your fault if you had to. Well, she said she had her son at 28 and she did not have another child. Then she had health issues at 35. So for seven years, she didn't have a kid. Then she had health issues and had to have a hysterectomy. But either way, right now, tonight, we are going to be doing at Bard's Fest something that's phenomenal. It's going to blow your mind about repentance from pornography. But tonight... I, I am very proud of you for leaving that in the comment. To repent of that is one thing that as, as a whole Christian body, we must do. To repent of trying to control life and death. So many people are like, well, I wasn't kind of trying to control death. I don't want to kill people. But, but you were trying to control life. And that's God's job. And I would say if you obviously kind of like they say abortion in case of the life of the mother, it's like hysterectomy in the case of the life of the mother. Like we got to be... We're, we're, we're not stupid here. Right. I'm not talking about what happened to her at 35. Right. I'm assuming by her comment, she was saying that she chose not to have children okay. from 28 to 35. Okay. And I think that that's what she's repenting of, not from having this well, hysterectomy for that's purposes. that's true because a lot of people, and I'm not, I'm not going to point this out to you specifically, but a lot of people put off having kids and then they find they can't. And sometimes birth control will make it so that you can't. A lot of times. Um, so the, the, the dot she actually Hidachi. reads, you shall not practice birth control. You shall not murder a child by abortion, nor kill what is begotten. It's, it's pretty, pretty clear. Okay. So I want to play this for you. I thought I had the time stamp. I do. Would you bring up this? Um, this is an anti, oh, this is an anti-contraception statue in New York City. So that little girl that you see in New York City, it's actually the Comstock statue. Did you know that the driving force behind the original anti-birth control statutes was a New Yorker named Anthony Comstock? That's right, in the 1860s, Comstock took it upon himself to rid New York City of vice and was convinced that the availability of contraceptives alone promoted lust and lewdness. In 1872, he drafted a ban on contraceptives and took it to Washington. On March 3, 1873, Congress passed the Comstock Act, which defined contraceptives as obscene and illicit and made it a federal offense to send birth control through the mail or across state lines. It wouldn't be until 1936 that Comstock's chastity laws would begin to be dismantled. Let's just say that we had legal access to effective and safe birth control before 1873. Then a man who literally thought that an anatomy textbook was lewd and licentious came along and took it away. What do you think of that? I'm going to be brave so and that, say let me know in the comments. Um, Can't wait. That's why this particular statue gets defaced a lot. 
And it's like, it's a little girl. What are you doing defacing a little girl? Well, because she's in defiance of you killing her. All right. Um, so here we have the British cor uh, correspondent, basically. Uh, not correspondent. Last what, winter. what do you say? We're the, they're the same, but in a different country. The British version of Margaret Sanger. Marie Stoops. How what would you call that? I think you meant corresponding. No, not correspondent. Not, no, what do you say? The equivalent. The okay. equivalent. What do you say? The equivalent. The, the, the version. Okay, help me out in the chat. What am I looking for? Okay, so this is Marie Stoops. Now, this is a very interesting case because she writes a counterpart? sexual counterpart. Please. Thank you. She writes a sexual liberation book that is lewd and gets a bunch of women hot under the collar. And she had a sexless marriage to begin with. And she writes this book about enjoying pleasure and how women need to enjoy pleasure and be pleasuring each other. And I want you to hear what the result of this is. And I'm not saying that you can't enjoy your spouse, okay? But devoiding it from children requires something. A bit later on. First, a brief look at the woman who is the offended party and what is at stake here. Marie Stopes is one of the most prominent English intellectuals of the era. Formerly an academic botanist, she made mainstream fame in 1918 at the age of 37 with the publication of her shocking Married Love. Apparently inspired by her sexless first marriage, Married Love is a guide for couples on how to truly care for each other's needs. That's putting it, it lightly. It is a somewhat strange read. Some chapters give incredibly detailed anatomical Sensual descriptions, such descriptions. as how a penis becomes erect. And others offer literary outpourings such as, from the body of the loved one's simple, sweetly colored flesh, which our immemorial creature instincts urge us to desire, there springs not only the bodily wonder of a new bodily life, but also the enlargement of the horizon of human sympathy and the glow of spiritual understanding, which a solitary woman, soul could never have attained alone. And it was a sensation upon release, published at a time when women's liberation and modernism were just starting to really sweep the Western world. Marie Stopes provided a language to talk about sexuality completely divorced from reproduction. It sold over 2,000 copies in its first two weeks of publication, 17,000 after a year, and by now in 1923, over 200,000. Of course, to divorce Women's sexuality porn. and reproduction, you need birth control. Married Love is one of the first popular books to openly promote this, and it quickly becomes Stopes' life work. She campaigns on it with great passion, publishing frequently and regularly organizing public meetings. In 1920, she even circulated a letter to attendees of the upcoming Lambeth Conference, the decennial assembly of bishops to define Anglican doctrine, where she tells them of the divine message she received. My lords, I speak to you in the name of God. You are his priests, I am his prophet. I speak to you of the mysteries of man and woman. No act of union fulfills the law of God unless the two not only pulse together to the highest climax, but also remain thereafter in long brooding embrace without severance from each other. Unsurprisingly, the bishops ignored her message. Unperturbed, she set up England's first birth control clinic in first, a working class area of London in 1921, clinic. which by now is a roaring a success. Lady. It is run by Stokes, but staffed by trained nurses, and a female doctor is available at all times. Services are provided at cost, or even for free, if the poorer women can't afford them. And the emphasis is on sex education and contraception rather than medical procedure. Enjoy your body. All this, ladies. just by itself, is hugely babies. controversial that a woman is openly advocating not only sexual pleasure for the sake of sexual pleasure, but also a means for women to control their reproduction 
Well, this goes against everything Christianity teaches about sexual relations and a woman's place within them. This, this goes against everything Christianity teaches. She is teaching women how to be promiscuous, right. to go outside of the bounds that God has for you because you normally needed to have sex and be married or people look down upon you because if you, you could probably be pregnant. <clears throat> this sin alone forms much of Halliday Sutherland's supposed defamation of her. There's more to it than that. Stopes doesn't just believe in birth control, but also in controlling who can give birth. Oh, in other really? words, she is a eugenicist. Really? Eugenics or at least population control, is an inherent part of the early birth control movement. As you'll know from our season one episode, Sex, Drugs, and the Right to Vote, the ideas of English cleric Thomas Robert Malthus are very influential just here. His 1798 publication, an essay on the principle of population, predicted that birth rates would one day overtake food production mm. to such an extent that famine, the breakdown of social order, and war would come with it. Oh no. Limiting unwanted births, and so alleviating the burden it places on individual mothers and society as a whole is a cornerstone of the birth control movement. And the biggest proponents of birth control, people like Stopes, believe not only that population growth should be controlled as a general principle, but that certain groups' contribution towards population should be controlled altogether. Marie justifies why in her 1920 book, Radiant Motherhood. Motherhood. Society allows the diseased, the mm. racially negligent, really? the thriftless, the really? careless, the feeble-minded, the very lowest and worst members of the community to produce innumerable tens of thousands of stunted, warped, and inferior infants. So do you think that birth control clinic was for the upper classes? Mm. Do you think that that was just her really caring about women? Or do you think she was trying to kill babies from these people? Come, you ignorant, warped, inferior people, and, and, and have as much sex as you want, but make sure you have birth control to kill them babies. If they live, a large proportion of these are doomed from their very physical inheritance to be at the best, but partly self-supporting, and thus to drain the resources of those classes above them, which have a sense of responsibility. If the good in our race is not to be swamped and destroyed by the debased, as the fine tree by the parasite, oh. this prolific depravity must be curbed. Such words aren't as controversial as one might think. Eugenics was once a marginal idea, but it has become a mainstream preoccupation, perhaps even the zeitgeist of intellectual circles of the 1920s. Like so many things, the Great War was the catalyzing moment for this. What shocked so many about it was not just the quantity of lives lost, but also the quality. The finest men, the bravest, the fittest, the most superior racial stock were slaughtered on the battlefields, apparently leaving behind a swarm of paupers, degenerates, and invalids free to carry on their reckless breeding. This pessimism about the biological decline of civilization is prevalent throughout Europe and America, but it's felt particularly strongly in Britain, which is already the birthplace of the modern eugenics movement, and where its reputation as the center of civilization is held dear. Even before the war had ended, then Prime Minister David Lloyd George referred to army medical categorizations when he closed a September 1918 speech saying, I solemnly warn my countrymen that you cannot maintain an A1 empire with a C3 population. This outlook is shared by politicians and intellectuals across the ideological spectrum, from utopian socialists like H.G. Wells, to rational economists John Maynard Keynes, to young politicians like Neville Chamberlain. All have different ideas about what the future should look like, but all believe that biological improvement of the race is the only way to secure it. And Stokes sees birth control as the way to make that happen. As she wrote herself in 1921, the campaign for birth control is not merely of eugenic value, but is practically identical in ideal with the final aims of eugenics. Only by intelligent mastery of the procreative powers can the great mass of humanity be awakened to the great responsibility of parenthood. Now the proposed solutions for racial decline is an episode for another time. Okay. 
for racial decline. So you guys know about Comstock. We've we've told you a lot about him, uh, but I wanted to guys let you know uh, a little bit more about those laws. So New England residents lived under the most restrictive laws in the country. In Massachusetts, anyone disseminating contraceptions or information about contraceptions faced stiff fines and imprisonment. By far the most restrictive state of all was Connecticut, where the act of using birth control was even prohibited by law. Married couples could be arrested for using birth control in the privacy of their own bedrooms and subjected to one-year prison, uh, prison sentence. In actuality, law enforcement agents often look the other way. Uh, these laws remained unchallenged uh, until uh, 1936. Now, Protestant leaders who campaigned to make contraceptives uh, respectable and therefore widely accepted in the 20th uh, century, you can see that, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, history uh, provides a different story about the relationship between the Protestants and birth control. So uh, as new contraceptive options emerged in the first two-thirds of the 20th century, from the diaphragm to the birth control pill, Christian leaders wrestled with what to think. Many came to see birth control as a moral good that would allow married couples to have satisfying sex lives while protecting women from health risks of frequent pregnancies. They hoped it would ensure that couples would not have more children than they could care for emotionally or economically. They didn't rely on God. They looked inward, considering the consequences of birth control for their own communities and hoped that planned or responsible sex would create healthy families and decrease divorce. Has it decreased divorce? No, actually, divorce has gone up. They also looked outward, thinking about birth control's wider implications at a time. Think about that. If you're on birth control and your wife is sleeping around, you never know. But if they weren't and that baby came out looking different, uh-uh, okay? Uh, at a time of widespread concern that the global population was rising too quickly. Was that satanic or what? Yes. So by the time the pill came on the market in the 1960s, liberal and even some conservative Protestants were advocating for birth control using new theological ideas about responsible parenthood. Is that found in the Bible? No. Over the decades, Protestant leaders have, in large part, disappeared from the pro-birth control arguments. They don't even talk about it anymore. There are many reasons. Mid-century agriculture technologies reduce fears of overpopulation, which have only recently been reawoken by the climate crisis. Uh, meanwhile, mainline Protestant churches and their public influence are shrieking, shrinking. Conservative leaders eventually grew concerned that birth control would lead to more working women, not fewer. So I actually want to go down and play uh, minute 21 through 26 in that video because you'll see that Nixon won wanted birth control for poor people and he actually called it uh our our class of people know how to control our the births but lower classes don't so we need to make them have uh fewer children and that is at minute 21 there you go so the forces appear to be joined the poor people declaring that they have declared war on the administration's efforts to cut off the war on poverty despite the controversy the administration was able to move many war on poverty programs out of the Office of Economic Opportunity to other agencies and cut funding by more than 50%. However, Nixon did expand federal support for a war on poverty program he felt very strongly about, birth control for the poor. The people in what we call our class control their population. Can you tell them what that's saying? Can you read that? Nixon says the people in what we call our class control their populations. The people who don't control their families are the people that shouldn't have kids. As part of its birth control effort, the administration quietly distributed a memo to federal clinics across the country, informing them that for the first time, war on poverty funds could be used to cover the costs of sterilizations. War on poverty funds could sterilize people. Because the people at the top who are distributing the money 
never bothered to issue the rules and regulations. That's the same thing as government funding Planned Parenthood, I hope you know. It's just under the different guise. That would have made sure that adult women and men who were interested in family planning and interested in contraception could get what they wanted. And instead, it became a program that for many people resulted in forced sterilizations. Joseph Levin filed a lawsuit against the Nixon administration after he discovered that two young girls, Minnie Ralph, age 14, and Mary Alice Ralph, age 12, were sterilized at a clinic in Montgomery, Alabama. At no time prior to the surgery did any physician discuss with the girls or their parents the nature or consequences of the surgery to which Minnie and Mary Alice were about to be subjected. The girls, were the girl's mother was given a consent form by the doctor. He knew she couldn't read and clinic workers pressured Minnie to sign a consent form, falsely stating she was 21. Dr. Warren Hearn, working at the War on Poverty, develops these guidelines. And these guidelines say that no one can be sterilized without informed consent and there can be no coercion. So these guidelines actually would have prevented the sterilization of the Ralph sisters. But his guidelines were never delivered to the clinics. They were being held up at the White House. So I got a call from Dr. Cooper telling me that I must refrain from any contact with the White House or OMB. Uh, and I said I was just trying to do my job and find out the, where the guidelines were. My attempts to find out about them were met with hostility, harassment, attempts at intimidation, and pointed invitations to resign. On Finally, he realized they weren't going to distribute them, and so he quit. So, these so the guidelines, guidlines were found in a were warehouse distributed in 1973. Even the 200 copies that Dr. Hearn had himself were taken out of his office and put in a safe place. And in the following investigation about what happened to these guidelines, the White House responds to the questions by saying, it suited our purposes. It suited our purposes to suppress these guidelines. We came to learn that maybe there were as many as 500 of these clinics functioning throughout the United States. 500 clinics. And it was sort of up to the nurses and the doctors as to who got what. And they made their judgment about who was worthy and who wasn't. We are suing HEW for non-enforcement, non-monitoring of the uh, sterilization regulations. We are also seeking consent forms in Spanish and, and I'm talking about the deprivation and the genocide of American Indian people. I'm talking about our women, 42% who were sterilized from 1971 to 1975, and not a whimper from the, of, of indignation from this country. The U.S. District Court judge who resided over the Ralph case found that during the Nixon administration, nearly 400,000 poor people were sterilized without being fully informed. There was I love this statement said, of without being properly informed. There should have been zero sterilization by clinics. the government. By the government. And why did they do it? Because they didn't want poor people to reproduce. This is sick Satan stuff. Had been coerced into operations under the threat of losing federal assistance. Many others were sterilized. Sterilized if you don't It almost eat. sounded as if we were talking about some Nazi era plan. It really was a practice of eugenics because these clinics didn't see anything wrong with controlling the birth rate of people who they viewed as a burden on There's society. A, and that's why they give them birth that's control, simple. too. Exactly. And that's why they want them to have abortions. It's all the same thing. Resulted Controlled in Judge Gerhard Gazelle requiring the federal government to issue stringent guidelines on sterilization, and that included a ban on the sterilization of okay, any minor. Okay, you can stop that there. Okay, so um, some recent historical investigation um, uh, offer partial answers to why did have Protestants... Uh, how does the Protestant ethic been reversed, but the Catholic ethic still stays the same? 
Uh, for, uh, for example, the first formal break came within the Anglican Communion or the Church of England with the clergy themselves leading the way. Um, so in England, it started in 1911. The advocates of population limitation celebrated the results of England's new census, showing that Anglican clergymen had an average of only 2.3 children, well below their 1874 figure of 5.2. Okay, so deliberate lowering of children. The census results also added fuel to the arguments of dissident clergymen that a solution to England's poverty problems must include the birth of fewer children. These pressures culminated at the Anglican Church's 1930 Lambrinth Commerce, where delegates heard an address by birth control advocate Helena Wrighton on the advantages of contraceptions for the poor. It starts with the poor, right? Uh, on a 193 to 67 vote, the Congress passed a resolution stating that in those cases where there is such a clearly felt moral obligation uh -huh. to limit or to avoid parenthood and where there is a morally sound reason for avoiding complete abstinence. What? <laughs> where there is a morally sound reason for avoiding complete abstinence. Other methods may be used and that this must be done in light of Christian principles. There was an immediate American Protestant echo. Yay! Sex without kids. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. In 1931, the Committee on Home and Marriage of the Federal Council of Churches... Uh, issued a statement defending family limitation by urging the repeal of laws prohibiting contraception, uh, uh, education, and sales. So even a church body committed to a defense of pure Lutheran orthodoxy, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, stumbled on this question. And as late as 1923, the Synod's official publication, The Witness, accused the Birth Control Federation of America of sputtering this, spattering this country with slime. So in 1923, the Lutherans said that's the evil, okay, and labeled the birth control advocate Margaret Sanger as the she-devil, okay? A popular 1932 volume on pastoral theology directly paraphrased Luther in stating that women with many children are in middle age much more, more beautiful than those who have few children. So they were like, when you have more kids, it's great. This woman that's trying to stop children, she's a she-devil. Right. So there was a countercurrent gaining force. The LCMCS clergy and theologians in the dubious, were in dubious lead. Similar to the Anglican experience, the average number of children found in clerical families fell from 6.5 in 1890. Think of the rapture. When did the rapture theology happen? Around that Same time. Same time to 3.7 by 1920. What happened in 1920? The rapture theology was firmly rooted in the church. The overall LCMS baptism rate declined from 57 baptisms per 1,000 members to 37 in 1913. Um... So Alfred Renwickle said that Luther had simply been wrong. The Genesis phrase, be fruitful and multiply, was merely a blessing, not a command. Renwinkle went on to defend Margaret Sanger with a sympathetic history of family planning. By 1964, the Synod officially held that problems of poverty and overpopulation, circle that, poverty and overpopulation should help guide the thinking of family size. So in 1961, there was the North American Conference of Church on Family. So such views spread, and guys, I'm telling you, look, this is less than 100 years old. It's less than the rapture theology. Such views spread at a still more rapid pace among Protestant mainline churches held near the end of post-World II baby boom when American family, for, uh, family life for a brief period again seemed somewhat healthy. In 1961, 
the North American Conference on Church and Family of the National Council of Churches can only be called extraordinary, setting a radical theme. Keynote speaker J.C. Wynn of Colic Divinity School dismissed existing Protestant books and pronouncements on the family and sexuality as depressingly platuitous and de comfortably dull. Uh, a regrettable works of righteousness. A keynote speaker praised this conference for its intended merger of Christianity with new insights from science and a mighty symbol of readiness of the churches to ground their policy uh, formation in objective, solid data. So other speakers formed a veritable who's who of sexual radicalism. Lester Kirkendall said that America had entered a sexual economy of abundance where contraception would allow unrestrained sexual experimentation without the burden of children. This is at a church conference, by the way. Uh, Wardell Pomeroy of the Kinsey Institute, look that up. He uh, molested kids for sex research. Um, explained how the new science of sexology required the abandonment of old moral categories. Uh, a psychologist, Evelyn Hooker, Evelyn Hooker, went and praised the healthy, sterile lives of homosexuals. Planned Parenthood's Mary Calderon made the case for universal contraception use. At a, this is where you're getting contraception from. These people, homosexuals, child pedophiles, and Planned Parenthood. Um, and while the colleague Al, uh, Alan Gubermacher urged the reform, and that's the Gubermacher is Gutenmacher Gutenmacher is, uh, is abortion guys there, urged the reform of America's mean-spirited anti-abortion law. So not a single speaker spoke in the spirit of the old Protestant uh, ethic. Indeed, this ethic now stood as a chief enemy. The conference endorsed development of a new evangelical sexual ethic, one relevant to our culture, sensitive to the overpopulation crisis and grounded in modern science. Member denominations soon complied. In 1970 report, the Presbyterian Church rejected old taboos and prohibitions and gave its blessings to mass contraception techniques. 1970, right before abortion was legalized, the church said, boom, have sex without con with contraceptions, have sex without kids. They decoupled purpose and pleasure, and then you've got promiscuity. You've got homosexuality, low-cost abortion on demand. The same year, the Lutheran Church in America fully embraced contraception and abortion as a responsible choice. 180, this is satanic. And at 1977, the United Church of Christ celebrated the terms freedom, sensuousness, and androgyny and declared free access to contraception and abortions as matters of justice. Contraception and abortion are twin sisters. They cannot be decoupled. You cannot use contraception and think that you, you cannot be pro, uh, against abortion and pro-contraception because you are actually still pro-abortion just in a, your, your, your bud light. All right, let me read the next one. In the 4th century, the Latin and Greek authors addressed these issues. St. Augustine wrote on marriage and concupiscence. Though he was already the Bishop of Hippo when he wrote it, he is equally famous for having lived with a concubine for 14 years and had a son with her. Therefore, he had an experience of living in a sort of family, and he learned from his mistakes. He wrote, I am supposing then, although you are not lying uh, with your wife for the sake of procreating offspring, you are not for the sake of lust obstructing their procreation by an evil prayer or an evil deed. Those who do this, although they are called husband and wife, are not, nor do they retain any any reality of marriage, but with a respectable name, cover a shame. So if you are trying, if you have an evil prayer or an evil deed, and he calls any sort of uh, contraception, if you're lying with your spouse and you don't want to have kids, if you're like, don't have a kid, don't have a kid, he's saying you're not actually husband and wife. What does Martin Luther say? Uh, called people who use contraception logs, stock, 
and swine. John Calvin said contraception was condemned and doubly monstrous, while abortion was a crime incapable of expiation. That means forgiveness, but it, I think that's a far. That's too far. Okay, that's way too far. Uh, we also find in Patagotis of Clement of Alexandria, the moral admonition. Because of its divine institution for the propagation of man. Propagation. This, thank you, propagation. Uh, the seed is not to be vainly ejaculated, nor is it to be damaged, nor is it to be... Wasted. Wasted. So if you are sterilizing, if you are sperm spermiciding, this is what the church always believed. And like with... Our Revelation Red Pill, if the church for 2,000 years believed one thing, like yeah. the advancement of Christian faith, and then the only way it switched wasn't because Christians came to this wonderful enlightenment. enlightenment. It was because of the push of Mary Stoops, eugenicists, Margaret, Margaret Sanger, Sanger, and the most evil people known to mankind that led to... World War II and Nazi Germany. So the very ideals that led to the extermination of the Jews are this birth control. And we, and we see the killing of the um, feeble-minded. Beyond these expressed condemnations, what is more revealing was the repeated insistence among all the early church fathers of the inseparability of the sexual act from its procreative purpose. This was a constant concern and repeated theme in their preaching and teaching. We Christians, said the early apologist Justin Martyr, either marry in order to produce children, or if we refuse to marry, are completely continent, content, con you know, not have, you know, celibate. So too, the second century bishop, Athen Agoras. Agoras, declared in a letter to the emperor of 177, go ahead, that Christians do not indulge in coitus sex to satisfy the lust. Rather, the procreation of children is the measure of our indulgence in appetite. So Martin Luther, in constructing his evangelical family ethic, Luther placed emphasis on Genesis 128. In in construct be fruitful. Oh, thank you. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. This was more than a command. He called it divine ordinance, which it is not our prerogative to hinder or ignore. To hinder. It's not our prerogative. It's not our prerogative to hinder. And I'm not saying, again, I know that there are people out there that are like, push your wife until she's had 20 kids. I'm like, you know what? Nobody's making you have sex. And I want to make a more basic comparison for you guys, because here's the deal. God made food and it's so good. It's so enjoyable and I love food. And yes, God made us to enjoy it. But the purpose of food is not to eat it, to enjoy it. It's to sustain our bodies. The same thing. And you thing, can overeat. And, you, and so if you start eating solely for the purpose. And the pleasure of, of eating. Of, and pleasure of eating. You get fat. Not just you get fat, but you have decoupled. His purpose. The of, purpose yeah. of food. Yeah. And you are no longer thankful for it. Yeah. And this goes for like bulimia, right? Oh, sure. People that just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and then they try to throw it up. Like, I well, would say, I didn't eat that. I would say sex with birth control is equivalent to bulimia. Yeah. But yeah. more, I, I think God views it as more. Yeah, because you're kind of, kind of killing yeah. something. Indeed, Luther saw procreation as the very essence of the human life in Eden before the fall. He explained in his lectures on Genesis. This living. Tr truly in all nature. Oh, I thought we were right here. Lectures on Genesis. Did we already read that one? Truly in all nature, okay. there was no activity more excellent and more admirable than procreation. After the proclamation of the name of God, it is the most important activity Adam and Eve in the state of innocence could carry on. That's good. As free from sin in doing this as they were in praising God. Wow. You're not free from sin if you're saying, God, don't give me a kid when I do this. Don't give me a kid when I do this. Don't give me a kid when I'm doing this. Okay? <laughs> Does that? Come on, guys. 
The fall brought sin into its this pure, exuberant fertility. Um, even so, Luther praised each conception of a new child as an act of wonderment. Holy beyond our understanding. Like that's what we saw with baby a Olivia. A miracle bearing lovely music of nature. A faint reminder of life before the fall. This living together of husband and wife, that they occupy the same home, that they take care of the household, that they together, that together they produce and bring up children is a kind of faint image and a remnant, as it were, of that blessed living together in Eden. Back to Eden is having children and loving all children that come. Just as important, he called men home to serve as house fathers. Dedicated to rearing of, children, of Christian children, in a wonderful passage, Luther describes the father who confesses to God that I am not worthy to rock the little babe or wash its diapers or to be entrusted with the care of the child and its mother. Luther then assures him that when a father goes ahead and washes diapers or performs some other mean task for his child, God with all his angels and creatures is smiling because the father is doing so in Christian faith. Luther knew that the contraceptive mentality was alive and well in his own time. He noted that this inhuman attitude, which is worse than barbarous, was chi- was found chiefly among the well-born, the nobility, and the princes. Elsewhere, he linked contraceptions to selfishness. How great, therefore, the wickedness of fallen human nature is! How many girls there are who prevent conception and kill and expel tender fetuses, although procreation is the work of God! Indeed, some spouses who marry and live together have various ends in mind, but rarely children. I'm going to read some of these scriptures. So Genesis 29. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God opens and closes the womb. Oh. It's okay to, here's the thing. What he's saying is let God open, open and the close womb. the womb. Exactly. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob, and then again, I'm just going to read through some of these. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in God's stead who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? So let God choose. There are some of you that can't have kids because God is withholding it. And there's, and then some of you need to pray and ask God to open your womb. Genesis 49. By the God of your father, who will help you? And by the almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. It is a blessing to nurse a child. So Exodus 13. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of the Israel, both man and of beasts, it is mine. First Samuel. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Hannah then pleaded with God and conceived. Job 31. But from my youth I reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. Job, saying he has done the right thing before he was born, while in his mother's womb he was making the right decisions. Okay, Hebrews, or Hosea. Hosea. Nine. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. The glory of Israel will fly away like a bird, for your children will die at death or perish in the womb or never even be conceived. And then, did you write that? I did. It was it, it was a curse to not have children and to not be able to have them. It was God would often curse foreign um armies and enemies with the curse of not being able to have children. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Hosea Hosea 9, 14, give them O Lord. What will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry the breasts. Leah says again, this was a curse, a, a bad thing not to have children, not to be able to nurse Galatians. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, 
Leah says, Paul said it was God who separated him from his mother's womb. That's his job. Life is a miracle not to be taken for granted. Psalm 71, on you I have leaned on and relied on from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of thee. Ecclesiastes 11.5, God's ways are as hard to discern as the pathways of the wind and as mysterious as a tiny baby being formed in a mother's womb. The King James Version says, as the bones grow in the womb as with a child, this is a miracle and cannot be taken by man or destroyed. Psalm 113.9, he makes the barren woman to keep house and be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, Psalm 11.15, the Lord... 15.14. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Psalm 115.14, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Psalm 128.3, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. The fruitful vine here is childbearing. Again, a blessing from God. Verse 9, shall I bring to the moment of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who causes to bring forth shut up the womb, says your God? Um, Proverbs 17.6, children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their fathers. Psalm 128.3, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. I think, I think that. we read that one. So there you go. There's more of Psalm 147.13. For he hath strengthened the bars of thy gates. He hath blessed, hath blessed your children within you. So Genesis 38.8 talks about Onan. So um, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Raise up offspring for your brother. But since Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, he spilled his seed on the ground and he went into his brother's wife so that he could not give Whenever offspring to his, to give offsprings to his brother. What he did was so displeasing in the sight of the Lord that God put him to death. So for centuries, Christians have also have cited that verse as the major reason not to use birth control as spilling a man's seed is so displeasing to God that he killed a man because he did it. But he didn't just spill his seed. There was no, there was literally no other reason to spill the seed other than to say, I don't want to have a child. Somewhere around the mid 19th century, people began to kind of ignore or explain this away uh, like it's old fashioned, etc. Jeremiah 22, 30. Write ye this, ma this man, childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Cursed to, again, a curse not to have children through your seed. Acts 7, 5. And he gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. Many will agree that abortion is wrong. And that the Supreme Court has no constitutional right, no constitutional authority to give authority to doctors to kill. The only time the government can authorize an American to kill is in self-defense, when under attack by a person using a lethal weapon, and when the country is under attack by someone attacking the country, whether from or within. As for abortion, you know, if a child is not supposed to live, let God kill it. Like with David and Bathsheba, okay? But... Um, you know, Michelle and I, we were supposed to be aborted, but I had a right to live. You have a right to live. Okay. And Malachi two, one more time, read it. And did not God make you and your wife one flesh? Did not one make you a, and preserve your spirit alive? Okay. So I want to read to you, read to you. Mother Teresa had me and what she had to say. The way 
To plan the family, is natural family planning not contraception? In destroying the power of giving life through contraception, a husband or wife is doing something to self, and so it destroys the gift of life in him or her. And then she says, once that living love is destroyed by contraception, abortion follows very easily. She also said, you know, people worry all the time about innocent children being killed in wars, and they try to prevent this. But what hope is there in stopping it if mothers kill their own children? Every life is precious to God, whatever the circumstances. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 4, God says, you are precious to me and I love you. So here are some quotes. Eric Clapton. It sounds strange to me to be saying this, but I've come around to the idea that sex really is for procreation. Mel Gibson. He stated that his opposition to birth control, infidelity, and abortion, uh, God is the only one who knows how many children we should have, and we should be re ready to accept them. One can't decide for oneself who comes into this world and who doesn't. That decision doesn't belong to us. All right. And then she Mother Teresa says, how can there be too many children? That is like saying there, there are, are too, too many, many flowers. flowers. I know people worry about college tuition, how to feed and clothe, attention, but I've known quite a few large families. And you know what? They might not all have exactly as much stuff as a one or two ch children at home, but they have something that I've always wanted, which is love. I have two homeschool families in mind that have five children each. When I read in Hebrews chapters 11 through 12, I'm sure you know it well, the Hall of Fame of Faith. We see our heroes in the word, and I try to live my life by their great faith adding that the promise they saw afar off, that is Jesus Christ. I take my cue from them. And you know what? If God wants us, you know, one key thing that he said to the eunuchs and to the virgins is if God wants us blessed with children so much, why would he say it is better not to marry? Well, that's an easy one. Eunuchs are said to be dry trees and lament the fact that they cannot produce fruit, which is children. God sees this and Isaiah 56 promises to give them a name in the Lord if they follow God with all their heart. We see throughout the Bible, it is also a shame not to be a fruitful man or woman, i.e. having children. And so I'm going to skip a little bit about um, birth control. And I want to go down to a few more quotes here um, from some of our church fathers. So the Synod of Dort in 1618. Michelle, can you read that? Uh, yeah. This was even as much as if he had, in a manner, pulled forth the fruit out of the mother's womb and destroyed it. So that's what he was saying about birth control. So no one needs to work very hard to testify of the great list of those who oppose birth control because the list includes just about everyone. It is evident that all historical church fathers unanimously oppose birth control. Since the beginning, the church held that birth control was a clear unbiblical practice for over 1900 years. All the church fathers, Catholic, Anglican, Protestant reformers alike, all oppose the use of birth control. In fact, absolutely no Christian group or denomination ever supported this unbiblical use of contraceptions until 1930. And there was the Labyrinth Congress uh, Conference of Anglican bishops uh, that a break in this unanimous historical church teaching occurred in their passage of Revolution uh, 15. And I think we, I think we read that one and, and the vote on that. So Charles Spurgeon actually has a whole sermon on Psalm 28, and you guys can probably find that online. He says, like I believe, that women can still be a blessing to their husbands in ways if she cannot have children, but that children are not financial burdens like people see them today. They are not something you need to save up until you feel like you have enough money. Certainly, putting off having children so a person and their spouse can have fun without kids is completely unbiblical, lustful, and sinful. If a man sees his wife as a fruitful vine, he will want her to bear much fruit. And so I want to go over a few more of these. This is a letter of Barnabas in 8074. John is still alive. Moreover, he Moses. Okay. 
Moreover, he, Moses, was, has rightly detested the weasel, Leviticus 11.29, for he means, thou shalt not be like to those who we hear of as committing wickedness with the mouth, with the body, through uncleanness, orally uh, consummated sex, nor shall thou be joined to those impure women who commit iniquity with the mouth, with the body, through uncleanness. So, very early on, oral, sex, oral sex was decried by the church fathers. Church fathers. Because of its divine institution for the propagation of man, the seed is not to be vainly ejaculated, nor is it to be damaged, nor is it to be wasted. Clement of Alexandria, we read that one already. I think we read that next one so, already. we did not read from Hippolytus. Christian women with male concubines, on account of their prominent ancestry and great property, the so-called faithful want no children from slaves or low-born commoners, so they use drugs of sterility or bind themselves tightly in order to expel a fetus which has already been engendered. Lack. Tantius, AD 307. Some complain of the scantiness of their means and allege that they have not enough for bringing up more children, as though in truth their means were in their power, or God did not daily make the rich poor and the poor rich. Wherefore, if anyone on any account of poverty shall be unable to bring up children, it is better to abstain from relations with his wife. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. So, and again, he says, God gave us eyes not to see and desire pleasure, but to see acts to be performed for the needs of life. So too, the genital or gen gen generating part of the body, as the name itself teaches, oh, I didn't know that, uh, has been received by us for no other purpose than generation of offspring. The Council of Nicaea. If anyone is in sound health has castrated himself, it behooves that such a one, if enrolled among the clergy, should cease from his ministry, and that from henceforth no such person should be promoted. But, as it is evident that this is said of those who willfully do the thing and presume to castrate themselves, so if any have made any eunuchs by barbarians or by their masters, and should otherwise be found worthy, such men this canon admits to the clergy. If you chose to uh, sterilize yourself, they don't want you to be a minister. Right. And that's at the Council of Nicaea. But if it happened to you, yeah, then, then you, you then can that's be. Different. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the medicine chest against heresies. Epiphanius. Epiphanius. Uh, they, certain Egyptian heretics, ex exercise genital acts, yet prevent the conceiving of children. Prevent the conceiving of children. Not in order to produce offspring, but to satisfy lust, as they are eager for corruption. So, Augustine, Augustine this proves that you... Uh, the, the Manichaeans, they were uh, a different sect of kind of Christians, but not really. They were weird. Uh, approve of having a wife, not for the procreation of children, but for the gratification of passion. In marriage, as the marriage law declares, the man and the woman come together for the procreation of children. Therefore, whoever makes the procreation of children a greater sin than copulation, whoa, forbids marriage and makes the woman not a wife, but a mistress, who for some gifts presented to her is joined to the man to gratify, gratify his passion. That sentence right there, the man and woman t come together for procreation. Therefore, whoever makes the procreation of children a greater sin than copulation. That's huge. Forbids, forbids marriage and makes the woman not a wife, but a mistress. All right. So John Chrysostom, the homilies on the Romans in AD 391 says, why do you sow where the field is eager to destroy the fruit? Where the field is eager to destroy the fruit. Where there are medicines of sterility or oral contraceptives, where there is murder, murder before, before birth. birth, you do not even let a harlot remain only a harlot, but you make her a murderess as well. Indeed, it is something worse than murder, and I do not know what to call it, for she does not kill what is formed, but prevents its formation. So they're saying that birth control is worse than abortion. What then? Do you condemn the gift of God and fight with his natural laws? Yet such turpitude. 
The matter still seems indifferent to many men, even to many men having wives. In this indifference of the married men, there is greater evil, filth. For then poisons are prepared, not against the womb of a prostitute, but against your injured wife. Against her are these innumerable tricks. All right, so again, he says, In truth, all men know that they who are under the powers of this disease, the sin of covetousness, are wearied even of their father's old age, wishing him to die so they can inherit. And that which is sweet and universally desirable, the having of children, they esteem grievous and unwelcome. Many, at least, with this view, have even paid money to be childless and have mutilated nature, not only killing the newborn, but even acting to prevent their beginning to live. Again, he says, the man who has mutilated himself, in fact, is subject even to a curse. As Paul says, I would, I would that they would, that they who trouble you would cut the whole thing off. Galatians 5.12. And very reasonably, for such a person is venturing on the deeds of murderers and giving occasion to them that slander God's creation and opens the mouths of the Manichaeans and is guilty of the same unlawful acts as they that mutilate themselves among the Greeks. For to cut off our members has been from the beginning a work of demonical agency and satanic device that they may bring up a bad report upon the works of God, that they may mar this living creature, that imputing all not to the choice, but to the nature of our members, the more part of them may sin in secrecy as being irresponsible. Thank you. Security as being irresponsible and doubly harm the living creature, both by mutilating the members and by impeding the forwardness of the free choice in behalf of good deeds. So I want to, I want to pause there and, and, and remind you guys, just because we now have more modern techniques of accomplishing these things, does not make them any less barbaric and vile to the Lord. Anything because the goal is still the same. It wasn't the barbaric act of cutting of oneself. It wasn't the barbaric act of the taking of poison. They used to eat carrot seeds and stuff like that. It wasn't that. It that birth in and of itself. Is poison. The birth An to IUD stop up the womb. Poison. To stop life from happening, in and of itself, is anti-God. At its very core and nature. Uh, there's no way to get away from it. All right, let's keep reading. Jerome. Uh, this was 8393. But I wonder why he, the heretic uh, Jovananius, set Judah and Tamar before us as an example, unless perchance even harlots give him pleasure, or Onan, who was slain because he begrudged his brother's seed. Does he imagine that we approve of any sexual intercourse except for the procreation of children? John Chrysostom. Observe how bitterly he, Paul, speaks against their deceivers. I would that they which trouble you would cut off the whole thing. On this account, he curses them, and his meaning is as follows. For them I have no concern. A man that is heretical after the first and second admonition refused. Titus 3.10. If they will, let them not only be circumcised, but mutilated. Where then are those who dare to mutilate themselves, seeing that they draw down the apostolic curse and accuse the workmanship of God and take part with the Manichees? Uh, Jerome again here says, you may see a number of women who are widows before they are wives. Others indeed will drink sterility and murder a man not yet born and some commit abortion. Augustine again says, you Manichees make your auditors adulterers of their wives when they take care lest the women with whom they copulate conceive. They take they wives. Take, they spill the seed lest the woman they're having sex with doesn't have a baby. They take Wives, according to the laws of matrimony by tablets, announcing that announcing that the marriage is contracted to procreate children, and then, fearing because of your law against childbearing, they copulate in a shameful union only to satisfy lust 
for their wives. They are unwilling to have children on whose account alone marriages are made. How is it then that you are not those prohibiting marriage as the apostle predicted of you so long ago in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, when you try to take from marriage what marriage is? When this is taken away, husbands are shameful lovers, wives are harlots, bridal chambers are brothels, and fathers-in-laws are pimps. St. Augustine, 8400. For thus the eternal law that is the will of God, creator of all creatures, taking counsel for the conservation of a natural order, not only not to serve lust, but to see to the preservation of the race, permits the delight of mortal flesh to be released from the control of reason and copulation only to propagate virginity. Augustine, the good of marriage. For necessary sexual intercourse for begetting children is alone worthy of marriage. But that which goes beyond this necessity no longer follows reason but lust, and yet it pertains to the character of marriage to yield it to the partner, lest by fornication the other sin damnably through adultery. They must not turn away from them the mercy of God by changing the natural use into that which is against nature, which is more damnable when it is done in the case of a husband and wife. That's huge that he says that. It's more damnable to stop up having children when you are married than when you are not. Homosexual. That is crazy. Um, where did I leave off? For whereas, whereas that natural use, when it passed beyond the compact of marriage, that is beyond the necessity of begetting children is pardonable in the case of a wife, damnable in the case of a harlot. That which is against nature is execrable when done in the case of a harlot, but more execrable in the case of the wife. Of so great power is the ordinance of the creator and the order of creation that when the man shall wish to use a body part of the wife not allowed for this person purpose, orally or anally consummated sex, they the were, wife those is are more homosexual shameful. acts. And if you are doing oral or anal sex, Augustine says that is shameful. It's more shameful if she suffer it to take place in her own case than if in the case of another woman. I am supposing then, although you are not lying with your wife for the sake of procreating offspring, you are not for the sake of lust, obstructing their procreation by an evil prayer deed. Those who do this, although they are called husband and wife, are not, and they retain any reality and do not retain any reality of marriage, but with a respectable name to cover a we shame. We read that quote already, actually. I want to pause in all of this reading. I, think, I don't think I finished that. Sometimes this lustful cruelty or cruel lust comes to this, that they even procure poisons of sterility. Assuredly, if both husband and wife are like this, they are not married. And if they were like this from the beginning, when they came together, they're not actually, they were never actually joined in marriage, but, but in, in seduction. seduction. And if both are not like this, I dare say that either the wife is in a fashion of the harlot or of her husband, or he is an adulterer with his own wife. So, so if they both came into marriage saying, we're not going to have kids, right? then you're not married. Like that's not a marriage. So, so, and I know this is a lot to take in guys. And I told you this was going to be the most controversial show that we've ever done. That's Hands why down, I'm reading nine. so much. Because I don't want to, I don't want to prove my case. I want the case to prove itself. I want you guys, when we're reading this, and my anger is not at you. It's at my anger <laughs> is the fact that you have been lied to by the church. This is not your fault. This was done to you. You were brainwashed into this. Okay. This is so a big I'm red not pill. angry. At anyone, anyone the devil. in this position, because we know a lot of people that have had vasectomies or had their tubes tied or they're taking birth controls of some, they have an IUD, all this stuff. Most of the people that we know fall in that category. So what's like when we do the porn one, everybody's on board and they're all, all the women are ready to point to the men and be like, y'all better stop looking at porn. 
But when you're, you, they go to porn because the marriage bed has become defiled because it has become a harlotry. Because it's not about the procreating of children. And when you understand the beauty of um, Isaac praying for Rebecca to have children and then she conceives. And over and over again in the Bible, when you see these women conceive and they are so full of joy and, and it's a blessing. All the scriptures that we read about the blessing of having children, when you understand it purifies the marriage Part of the reason why men are addicted to porn, and I would say a large part of the reason why men are addicted to porn, is because they don't even know what the act is for. And because wives have gone along with it because they don't want to have more children either. So your husband has turned you into a harlot and you have turned him into a pimp. And it's, again, it's not your fault. But once you know, and, you, and I told you this was going to be the biggest red pill that you ever swallowed, okay? Consider it a coffee enema if you have to. I am telling you, this is serious. If we are gonna end child sex trafficking, if we are going to stop pornography, we have to see what sex we is We have for. to repent from the mutilation of sex in the marriage bed. It has been completely decoupled from God's purpose. And so many people are like, but I had two or three kids and that's enough. No, you have decoupled it. And I started saying this when I was a teenager. I didn't know that I was going to be my age and not have children. I said, I, when I get married, I'm going to be asking God for, for the blessings of children until the day I die. And so one the, of the age things, of Sarah, every time you come together, even if you've been through menopause, even if you've been snipped, even if you have had your tubes tied, every single time you get to marry, get together with your spouse, God, please bless the womb of my wife. And what will happen is when you do that, not only will God possibly maybe miraculously bless you with a child, but then it opens up the whole storehouse of blessings for God to bless you with spiritual children and for God to bless you with the rest of the blessings of Deuteronomy 8 and 28. Because if you try to take, I want the blessings of Deuteronomy 8 and 28. The land. Give me the land before Give the me kids. the land, but don't give me the kids or give me a couple of kids. Give me all the, the cattle that I can have. Give me all the land that I can have, but I want to control this. Then God can't actually bless you with the land. So I know this is a radical thing to say, but husbands, if your wife has had her tubes tied every time you are with her, or even when you're not with her, when you're away from her, bless God, please bless the fruit of my wife's womb. And honestly, if you're, before you take another vacation, you need to do some sort of reversal surgery and see if it's possible. Yes. You need to make that possible. That's, that is repentance because true repentance is to turn the other way. Yeah. The opposite direction. You need to, you need to do the surgery. But we to need to understand it. that if Abraham and Sarah were believing God for children until their old age, we have no excuse because they only believed on the promise afar off. So remember. And we have it living inside of us. Remember when Abraham, he thought that having a bunch of children, Sarah thought that the more kids she had, the more blessed she was. And she was angry at God. So Sarah would have wanted 20 kids. Yeah. And every single one. And and the, and Leah and Rachel, they wanted they wanted kids so badly that they gave they had concubines. And, and I know they, you they desperately wanted kids. And so I want to give a like kind of personal thing. Leah, Michelle, you don't have any kids. Do you have any room to speak? The only person that has room to speak here is Michelle and I. Or those who do not practice birth control. And I'll tell you why. Because when Michelle and I were 16 years old, we said, Lord, I give you 
however many kids I have. And y'all are married. And you didn't say that. And, you know, we talked about how baby Olivia can hear things from the womb. Yeah. And John the Baptist leapt in his womb I when Jesus just showed cannot up. cannot see. There, Michelle and I wouldn't be here fixing the world if we were pregnant. Because my little baby is not going to hear Andrew Tate. My little baby is not going to hear curse words. My little baby is not going to hear all this stuff that's going on. So I would have to remove myself from this kind fight. of fight from being on the front lines. And if God called us to do that, we would do it today. If he said, okay, you're done. But Michelle and I go and we find these things and we fight the Andrew Tate to this world. And we bring this information to you because that's what we're supposed to do. Because quite frankly, the men are emasculated. A lot of them. A lot of our viewers are not. That's why I wanted to Have differentiate. Any, anybody who's on the front lines, then you are fighting. But honestly, I don't see them. Even if you're my viewer, I'm going to be real honest. If you're a viewer, that's great. But where are you on the front lines? Like, I need you not to just be a viewer. I need you to be a doer. But I think a lot of our viewers have become doers in their personal lives. They're talking to their friends. They are telling the truth to their friends. But we if just you've don't got see families, it. you're limited. Yeah. You will be limited. If you're a mom, you're going to be limited in, in what you can do. Right. And where you can go and who you can engage with um, because you're a mom. Right. And that's fine. But now you are, now you're in mom mode. You're in wife mode. And you've got, and if you want to do the kingdom, and if you want to bring the kingdom down, then you need to go, you need to be like, I'm under Deuteronomy 28. Bring me everything. And so I believe that God, <coughs> excuse me, I always have to sneeze like every show. I don't know what it is. God moves uh, by our faith, right? And the Lord actually gave me a word for you guys. And I'll just let you be straight up honest. He said he's kept Michelle and I from having kids um, so that when we do get married and you guys do see us have kids, you'll say, wow, they, 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 they waited and, and waited to, to when God said go. And I want to also, speaking to that though, when it comes to Sarah, one of the things that I hear a lot from people, they say it is irresponsible to have children in an older age, what they now describe in your 30s and 40s. Sell that um, to Elizabeth. Be, because then your child doesn't get to spend a lot of time with you. Now, we do see that Isaac was pretty sad when his mom died. He And then, you know, Rebecca comes in and comforts him because that's how sad he was. Okay. But... Yeah, but that's not for us to didn't decide. She, didn't she live for like, like 30 years? 40, 30, it was like 30. How, it was like 30. I thought he, but he was 40 when his mom, when he got Rebecca. When he got Rebecca. But I think she had died, you know, she didn't just die. And Abraham had like six or seven kids after Sarah died. Exactly. With other women. When he got married again. Yeah. So, so my point is, honestly, guys, when you say that, really, you know, you're taking away the purpose of... The Did purpose you find of, Jason's thing? Yeah, I, have I was going to end The with purpose that. of 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 having a child is not that the mom and the child get to spend tons of years together. The purpose of bringing a life is that God brings this life because God has the call for that life. And God chose for for his own miraculous purpose for Sarah to have Isaac in her old age. And so for anybody to come and say it's irresponsible for you to have children in your old age because they won't get to spend a lot of time with you is just a bunch of bunk. Yeah, can you read, uh, or can you bring up Jason's thing? And um, I'm going to end with that, but I'll read one more. Who is he who cannot warn that no woman may take a potion so that she is unable 
to conceive or condemns in herself the nature which God willed to be fecund. I don't even know what that word means. As often as she could have conceived or given birth, of how many homicides was she be held guilty? That's what I felt and that's what I saw. Yeah. And unless she undergoes suitable penance, she will be damned by eternal death in hell. If a woman does not wish to have children, let her enter into a religious agreement with her husband. For chastity is the sole sterility of a Christian woman. And I will tell you guys, I, will, I am being completely honest. If you are having sexual relations on purpose not to have kids, you are murdering children. It's a murderous spirit in it's the heart. It's the same as abortion. And actually, from our church fathers, they say it's worse. It's worse to stop the life than to kill the life in the womb because the life was actually created and that life is going to go to heaven. But to stop a life, that life didn't even come into being. And so, Leah, well, why aren't you going out having all these lives? No, no, you don't understand. You are doing the act that produces life and you're stopping the life from even being going to heaven. Like, I, I don't know how else to describe it than the way the Lord showed me was that conception of the life is there when the a natural means without you stopping it through some sort of sterility on purpose that conception is there the life is there god it, it's there to be given and then they don't even have a chance to be there and to go to heaven because they're just like they don't it's like poof, it's like in the ether in the ether in the ether and the best way to describe it is um it's not quite the same but the kind of the best way to think about it is all of those fertilized eggs that you've taken out and purposely fertilized and they're in cryogenic chamber because mm -hmm. how does that even ethically work you know when in this whole conversation what what keeps hitting me so hard guys is that when we saw that spark of life, we saw baby Olivia to, to have a life. You are, you exist. You guys exist. You live and you breathe because of the literal greatest miracle that God ever invented. And he entrusted that in, in a family. He said, if you come together with your wife, I am going to entrust with you the, the God, I am God. I give life and I am going to entrust you with this ability and I am going to go between the two of you and life is going to be created and it is a miracle. It's, do you know that it is more of a miracle for a life to be conceived than for a limb to grow out? Because your body already has the code inside of it and it knows how to grow an arm because it grew it once. If your leg is cut off, it's not as big of a miracle for life to be created than it is for that entire leg to grow out because your body knows how to grow a leg because it did it once already. The code is there. So can I just read? Not that then. Okay. So when you choose to stop up that amazing life-giving miracle, the ability to bring a person from nothing to something and you say, God, I don't want that. That is the ultimate abomination, and it is exactly what Satan wants for the church. So I'm going to read three more scriptures, and these are scriptures that get kind of overlooked. We're going to play Jason in this, end up. Genesis 3, 28-3, when um, 
I think it was Isaac bless. It was I, I think it's Isaac blessing Jacob. Let me see. Isaac blessing Jacob. He says, "God Almighty bless you, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples." And if you need to be praying that over your children. Because this is the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you want to live out the blessings of the land promises and the cattle promises, you need to be praying over your kids every night. May the Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. And you're to pray that over your children their whole lives. Otherwise, you're taking out and you're ripping out Genesis 8.23 and you're crossing it out and you're saying, no, God. And, and, I, and one of the arguments, and I will give you your own arguments that you have in, in your head. I hear them. I know them. I've heard them countless times. I'm, I'm blessed enough. No, but Leah and Michelle, that's when they were trying to populate the earth. That that's, was just for then. That wasn't for populating the earth. Well, way back then in the Bible, they were still trying to make more people. And now we have enough people. There's too many people now. That was just for then. They wanted to, you know, spread, be fruitful, multiply, and... And, and, and because the dominion, and we're going to get, I want to get on that um, the, with the dominion command, um, that it was, uh, and, and populate the earth. We got to get going. No, I know we have to get, and to populate the earth, right? So do you have the dominion command up? Can you pull it up? I think it's Genesis 1, like something or other. Because um, I want you guys to see something, and then we're going to play Jason, and then we're going to pray. Uh, we need to read. I just have two more scriptures to read. Okay. And then we've got two more scriptures to read. Leah, this is important. It's going to be broken up into two episodes. You're going to have to just calm down. I just have two scriptures to read and then I'm done. Okay. So, um, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and mul multiply and replenish the earth. This was said to Adam and Eve. And then it was also said to Noah. So it was said to two peoples where there was nobody on the, the planet. So people make the argument that it was that that command was literally just to fill the earth. Okay. It says, um, and, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Genesis 1, 28. People want to decouple the dominion of having dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth from being fruitful and multiplying. Because why did God bring two together as one? To bring about a godly seed. When he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea, which those two things, by the way, did you know this? I know you know it about sand, but you may not know it about the stars of the sky. Those two things never stop being created. Stars are always being created and sand in the sea is always being created. So Abraham's blessing is that he will have a multitude of children forever and ever and ever. So this is not just a be fruitful and multiply and, and replenish the earth and, 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 and repopulate the earth. It is because God loves life. And so I want you guys to understand something. Some people still say the dominion command applies to me having control and dominion over myself, my body, and how many children that I have. But it doesn't go that direction. It says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, comma, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth, 
but it doesn't say over your womb because the first command is the first command. And then the second is the second, but the second does not override the first. Well, I'm going to take dominion. And so I take dominion over my womb. It does not work that way. It is a blessing and it is something that we should take very seriously and we should praise God for every single day. All right. So two more scriptures, Exodus 23, 25, worship the Lord, your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water. And I will take sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. That's a blessing. So what he's saying in Exodus is that they're and not using- And I will using, give you a full lifespan. And I will give you a full lifespan. They are not using birth control in Exodus. So what he's saying is that you're going to have as many kids as I've called you to have. And then your last, your second blessing here is Deuteronomy 7. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. And he will bless the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land and your grain and your new wine and your olive oil and the calves in your herds and lambs of your flocks. You will be blessed more than any people. So what it's saying is that continual overabundance of grain, overabundance of crops, overabundance of children from your womb. Okay, you be blessed more than any other people's. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. So this, these blessings that, you, that they spoke over God's people, remember where it says, and the people got so great in the land of Egypt. And they, they just did kept get to the point where there was too much of them. And growing, right? And then God. There's too many so of these people. So you need to recognize that life and death are in the hands of God. And if God needs to make room for you, then God can make room for you. Patriot Gallery says too many people in cities. They just have to spread out. And if you guys watched the first part of our show today, if you didn't, you're going to have to go back and rewind it. So most of you. We showed that everybody could fit in a tiny little area and so, have enough to grow all your own food. Like with the Duggars, they buy all their stuff at the store and they are not farming. Okay. Children are not expensive when you're not on the farm. But here's the thing. When you are on when the When you're farm. on your farm. You don't get the farm until you recognize all of God's blessings. And so you're having two kids and then you're like, but I don't want the rest of blessings and because I don't have the farm, but you're not going to get the farm until you're open to all God's blessings. And so it comes with saying, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. According to Abraham, bless me. According to Isaac, you don't get to pick and choose the blessings. And here's the thing until you recognize that children are a blessing over and over and over again, he can't bless you with the rest of it. You're going to have to make it happen. And I know we were at a food and freedom conference and almost every single speaker up there that had land and were actually making a living at farming had, um, they had this teaching. They had uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 kids. Every single speaker, it seemed like almost all of them. Um, John Moody, the guy's name I can't pronounce. Stolzfus. Uh, um, uh, Mark, Mark Baker. Baker. All these people have so many kids because they recognize that their kids are blessing. And then they put their kids to work. Our Amish friends, they there's never too many Amish kids. They always just have more and more kids. And those kids get put to work. But the kids are not just... Kids are a blessing in and of who they are. Yeah. Not just, they're not, oh, this was an agrarian lifestyle. They're a blessing because they can do work. That's what God meant. No, that's, that's, that is not the heart of God. And that is satanic. God is not saying your kids are a blessing because they were meant to be a slave. No, but it is a blessing to have a lot of kids. It, it is. is a blessing to have many hands. And Scott Richardson, who is our Amish father who passed away, he wanted as many kids as he could have. And he had like eight kids and one passed away. And that's and as many as they could the have. Of that child. And I can't imagine that family without that kid. And guess what? They're all very well provided for. Yeah. And so when you recognize, you, you if you're living in the city, then two kids is pretty much all you can afford. Okay. But 
you can't decouple from what you can afford in the city. You everybody needs to get out into the country. And so we we have I will let you guys know. The only reason we had pornography so with the Comstock laws, it was pornography, birth control, abortion, homosexuality, and now we've got transgenderism and now we're sterilizing kids. We didn't cover that that was an actual written documented agenda that they said if we can get in um pornography then we can get in contraceptives then we can get in abortion then we can get in homosexuality and the last one that they are coming for is legalized pedophilia that was that is these are documented agendas that we will go one two three four five we're on the fifth one but it started with pornography and contraceptives and we must understand those two things and so good news is we've knocked down pornography we're knocked down abortion and now God is saying it's time to knock down birth control. All right, Marie, two, a couple of comments, and then we're going to play Jason, and then we'll, we'll sign off. Honestly, I tune in for the banter back and forth. However, y'all put out great information, and with the love of God's from MV Truman. I love that. Patriot Gallery says you guys are going to give Facebook and YouTube another topic to censor. MV says, I have five wild kids. They are certainly a blessing, but it's a full-time job to be a dad. It's a responsibility I truly enjoy and hope God and Jesus will bless them and be proud. Amen. Sherry says... In a nutshell, everything that God created reproduces. Satan's lie on humanity works against God the creator, his creation reproducing. Very, very well, well said. Ken Borg says, gluttony is one of the seven sins. Too much of anything is wrong in the long run. Amen, well said. All right, so let's pull up Jason's video here so and let Dr. Jason, Jason say it. Dr. Jason in the house. He's a doctor. So I'm just gonna share some thoughts Look at all I'm actually really excited for you guys doing the show. Um, there's so much that it leads into. Um, as you were talking, Michelle, this morning, that literally we have brought our beliefs to, in the medical world, 35 years old is considered a old age to birth. And it's considered a complicated, like we delivered all our kids at home through midwife and all that stuff. And I know you guys mentioned that, but in different states, if somebody's over 35, they're not allowed to do a home birth with a midwife because that's over age. And we expect menopause around 45, 50, and we expect to retire at 65, and we expect to die by 80. But the word promises us, we, we live our life as if we're gonna live 80 years old. We don't actually believe the word that he'll give us 120 years and he'll give us more. Um, and so there's actually all this, the timing of, like for you to say at 40 that you're going to have as many kids as you want and even up to Sarah's age, people thinking by Sarah's age, they're dead. Yeah. They're, they're in assisted living facilities. We actually have a society that believes so much in aging and death at an early age that for them to think the birth beyond 35, 40 years old is crazy. But in the Old Testament, they lived, you know, 900 years, 700, 600, you know, 300 we have this mindset of actually death, which produces us say, I can't have that many kids because I'm, I'm already 30 and I've only had, you know, three, I'm 40 and I've had five and I'm not going to have more because they say it's, it's wrong. We've actually, even in the Christian circles have started to believe the messaging of the pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical medical system that says, Oh, your body wears out. Oh, your womb can't handle that. Oh, you're going to have all these issues. Well, we there's a weakening of the people because of their own beliefs that has been propagated through the many years of the medical system that is saying you're you're a weak person. As a mother, 
man, childbirth is a actual medical emergency versus a process of life. When we went, when we had got pregnant with our, well, Cassie got pregnant with our first, with our first one, Bryce, she was for a hospital birth. I'm like, no, we're doing home birth. So we went study and it literally, you study other cultures. The woman would actually go out, have the baby like in with the Indians when they were traveling and uh, even the settlers as they were traveling uh, west, they would actually go out, have the baby come back and join the, the caravan. It's, it's something that women were designed to do. Women were always the caretakers of the whole house. They were moving and stuff. So the birth was not a strain on the body that it is today because we have lazy, as a whole society, male and female, we're lazy. We don't have the muscle strength and tone and endurance to birth 10, 11 people because we've got everybody to sit down. Everything's a sit down job and a desk. We've taken people from the field and put them in an office. And what we're doing in the message is taking them from the office to the field so that they're actually strong enough to be able to sustain birthing at later ages, to be able to actually sustain birthing without complications to be able to sustain where we're actually now not having adrenal fatigue because we're sitting in office disconnected from earth no we're in the earth every day which actually reduces cortisol in our body increases serotonin increases dopamine so this whole process of the kingdom message does come down to when we are living the kingdom life the ability to birth at 70 80 years old is now available being able to birth without complication because everybody is stronger they have more of a sound body allows them to birth more so all this comes into the fullness of the kingdom message and i love how as we're teaching the kingdom message and getting more people on he's just showing us different areas of highlight okay the kingdom message touches here because there's nothing that the kingdom message doesn't touch and that's something as you're also talking it took me back to my study of the tree of life, which can be called the tree of righteousness, if you break it down and study it. Didn't they talk about Or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I don't know, if, I don't think I've ever taught it on anything. So I'll give it here for uh, the whole Barnes family. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it literally says good or evil. It could be, it could literally say good or better. God's way is righteousness. And righteousness is doing God's will, heart, and intent. If we live a righteous life, we're doing as the Father does because we are one with him. As Jesus prayed in John 15 or 17, Lord, let them be one with you as I am one with you. As we walk in oneness with the Father, not the oneness movement, but we become one with his heart. We will do the things that he desires. That's righteousness. Everything I do, I want to ask, Lord, is this your righteousness? Or is it my mind saying, this is this is good, this is better than this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. That was actually something I did, and I, I think I shared it when we did the live with them in Ohio. That was something I said, I'm not committing adultery. I'm better than those people because I'm just doing pornography in the privacy of my house. I'm better than them. The tree of good versus evil brings comparison versus the tree of righteousness that says, okay, in my life I made this and this. I right now unless God supernaturally reverses, there's no more Jason, little Jason's coming out naturally, unless God reverses what has been done. And that was one of those things that we made that decision five years ago, whatever it was. 
and it's something as he's bringing this out. What's that look like for people that have made that decision that are of childbearing age? How does God restore that? Um, and that's putting faith there. It's something like after yesterday, I was like, I told Cassie and, and with everything, you know, we, you know, if God brought people around that needed help, like we'd probably open our door again, um, more cautiously and just walking it out. But it is something, this message is another thing. And as we keep going, I notice he keeps just tearing down sacred cows as we realize the fullness of the kingdom message. Corey brought the agriculture part and then you girls, the resistance chicks, you guys all have land and you guys are doing that part. It's getting out of there. It's, that's going to actually help balance the hormones more than any drug from a pharmaceutical um, system. And I don't know if you guys know that I was, I am a chiropractor. I've um, been a chiropractor since 2005 is when I graduated. Dr. Jason um, in the house. Took four, three, four years where I had no license and I got mine back in Oklahoma. So that's where all this nerdy talk is coming from. But it is something that as we keep touching these, he's showing us. Okay, now you believe the kingdom. Now you're believing for the blessings and, and promises of Abraham. Well, that includes the children. That includes the land. What else does the blessings and promises of Abraham include? Okay, what sacred cows have we built? Because name a pastor that has more than three to four children in a large church. No, it's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It requires a sacrificing of our flesh to raise up the next generation. And what is, you know, it talks about, and uh, Michelle, you mentioned it, that... You know, it's about we'll, that we'll be known by our fruit, the fruit that remains. I've heard that always taught as finances. The more I've studied, and this is just something he's slowly showed me over the year, because uh, one of the churches that me and my wife were executive pastor at, that was always, I just, I just judge it by the fruit. The fruit is the children. It's always been about the children. Because you can judge a man by his fruit. Does he leave an inheritance to his children? Does he leave land, property? Does he do as Jacob, where he actually, when he left, he had all the different cattle and stuff. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes, four generations. What are you birthing? What does your fruit look like? We're not going to judge your fruit. We try to judge people's fruit on the moment to moment and in this lifetime and say, this is the fruit. What is the fruit that remains? When I'm gone, what is the fruit of my kids, my great, my grandkids, my great grandkids, four generations? That's the fruit that's judged. That's when I can say that was a good man. That was an evil man. Look at the fruit of the Bill Gates and the George Soros. What are their fruits doing? Are they producing life? Are they producing, are they actually became, trying to control more and more of the world? The fruit that remains is something that remains when I'm gone in the physical form off this earth and what my kids do. That's the fruit that we're looking at. And, uh, so that's just the fruit that remains. And it's the fruit of the tree of our own, you know, our own vine, of our own seed. That's the seed that's judged. Is it a good fruit or a bad fruit? If I have a plant that's not producing what, that fruit slowly dies off. And I, I say, I'm saving the seeds of the plants that are producing really well in the Oklahoma climate. Things that didn't take off, I'm not saving the seeds this year. I'm saving the ones that were plentiful and that's what happens over the generations. You see the evil ones will start to die off. And as we get a hold of this, the righteous will reign. So um, I am just even hearing that back again the second time, just absolutely blown away. I've listened I wanna, to it three times. I want to read two, two more comments here. Mallory Breath says, they are my blessings. I think she means her children. 
MV Truman says, wow, he said it. Amen. Yes, no fruit with them. And then these comments over here that I read out of the corner of my eye, I literally started tearing up when I read them. Ken Borg says, I repent for my sins and not having children and spilt my seed, believing the world was too evil to bring offspring. Couldn't have a son follow as I followed my father. God, please forgive me. Guys, this was not a show of condemnation. Just the same way that a show about getting people set free from pornography is not a show of condemnation or any sins that we may commit. It's not about condemnation. It's about bringing us all to these places of repentance. And I would the say... The power of repentance right there can, can will produce... I literally started crying when I read your comment. Like, you will, yes, God will bless you with children. That's the cool thing about repentance. They may not be your own children, like Jason was talking about. But God will bless you. That, that power of repentance. God could bring you a son, a spiritual son, into your life for you to follow in those footsteps. Because a lot of people say that this world is too evil to bring children in. And that's the why the world is so evil. Because the good people stopped having the children. James says, and he's one of our moderators, and he's been with us for a long time. Thank you, ladies, for what I think is the most informative and eye-opening broadcast that I have seen from y'all in the more, more than five years that I have been watching. Totally well done. James, your comment made my day. Ken's comment made my day. You, MB Truman over here. You guys... Especially the men that watch this that are, you guys are getting it. You guys, we've got, we've gotten emails from you guys stopping porn. Yeah. Now we're getting emails from you guys repenting and, and you know what? That's how we change the world. These are world changing. <laughs> That's how we right change here. the world. That's how we bring life back into the world. That's how we reconcile heaven back to earth. Like this episode is so powerful when people start to release these blessings and people been doing it the wrong way. You've seen those people the Duggar people they're not actually doing the kingdom message I don't know what they're doing but it's not I'm glad that they're having kids but obviously their kids made weird mistakes okay they weren't on farms they weren't doing the, the they weren't doing the the reconciling back and, to Eden and so reconciling back to Eden the kingdom message the of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end the revelation red pill message of all of tonight is that if we are going to expand the kingdom of God, we must first open up our wombs to the blessings that God wants us to get, wants us to have. And I just keep thinking about Leah. We'll use you as an example because you're the flesh and blood that's right next to me. I am flesh and blood. You are here. I am not a cyborg. And I honestly, guys, I'm here. Please go with me on this. I have fingers and toes and imagine bite. thinking for a moment the arrogance that anyone what if my mom should have ever decided that you didn't have the right to be here because it was an inconvenience to them. If that's how you feel, then you don't have sex. You don't get married. All right. Jason said that in that clip we played first. He said, most people think, am I ready to get married? Am I ready to get married? Well, it uh, used to be that a father, a father would say, how are you going to provide for my, for my daughter? And, and her children. And are you, do you have a home ready? So you don't get married and then wait to have kids. You 
wait to get married until you're ready to have kids. Right. Now, doesn't mean you have to have a big fancy house. It means that you're ready. Okay. Okay. I'm ready to have kids. I'll marry you now. And it actually used to be that men weren't actually uh, considered a man like Jesus until they were 30. And that's, that's why men, men married later and sometimes married younger wives because girls are pretty much ready to go. 18. We are ready to be moms. We um, are ready. Patriot Gallery says, we were pre-programmed like robots. They planned our thoughts before we were born. She also says, women used to be judged on how well their children respected others and how well-managed uh, they were, or people. Uh, and the Proverbs tells us, a rebellious son is ashamed to his father and mother. Well said, mom. So when we're looking at the whole concept of not being able to afford children, in 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 the in light of the kingdom mindset that we've been giving you guys for 24 other episodes and the kingdom roundtable that's done like 23 episodes okay all of that put together for us to then say i can't afford something your blessing comes from the submission to God. And Sam said it best to me the other day. She said, what's that saying? God doesn't equip the call or doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Once you answer that call and you say, God, I surrender to you. Then the provision comes almost every time. God doesn't usually drop the provision in your lap and then ask you to say yes. He asks you to say yes, and then the provision comes. And so many of you guys are out there waiting for your land and waiting for your provision, but you've said no to it. So Jacob had to work seven years yeah. before he got, well, Leah. <laughs> and then seven got, more, but he actually got Rachel yeah, and then, had, then to he had to work it off like a debt. So even Laban knew you got to be able to take care of my daughters before. And then they immediately start having children. Right. Right. And there's, that's, that's the, that's the thing in the Bible. Elizabeth wanted kids. Every may, every woman show me besides Deborah. I don't know if she had kids or not, but pretty much every woman in the Bible had kids, wanted kids. And actually their story, even Ruth, is about children. Even Rahab mm -hmm. is in the lineage of Jesus. Yeah. So whenever you see a woman in the Bible, the gloriousness is how many kids she has. And you're and 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 a, and a man, his gloriousness is how God, how he submits to God's plan for how many kids he has. Because here's the deal. It's actually not that easy to have kids, by the way, to, to birth children, to get pregnant, and to have a child come out of your body. Most people are, try for years and years and if years and blessed, years. Then God wants you to have a and lot of so kids. And so many people are like, well, but I got to control this. Well, what about the people that are asking God to open their wombs? And frankly, you are not going to have too many kids. Okay? So like, you're not. And so... This idea is is a brainwashed so idea. We can stop here because okay. we are going to have sorry. John Yep on. Yes, uh, he is the guy who put together uh, the Catholics for Catholics uh, rally with Jim Caviezel and General Flynn and Abby Johnson, who are all very good Catholics. Love it. Who all believe in. in what did he say to you on the phone? Well, you, you said we're the. Uh, he, he said, "I know we pray weird." I know. Uh, thanks for sticking through us with the rosary and praying to Mary. And I said, we, we prayed 45 minutes is very long, but we prayed with you guys. And I said, um, we're the weird Protestants that don't believe in birth control. And he said, well, you're a better Catholic than most Catholics. <laughs> so that's so why we called I felt him led to call him and say, will you come on my show? Yeah. And will you talk about birth control with me? And he is going to come on our show on August 31st. I love that. It's Patriot Gallery will leave with this comment. Having multiple children means men need land. And their labor is to provide for their families. Farming, which 
means the state and the government does not own people and a man's land is his. His family is his. His labor is his. His families. It's not the state's. Income and property taxes are completely illegal and stealing from the family's um, way or means of provision. It is all about not paying men gold and silver or coins. They want to print money indefinitely and slavery of all men. The same now with the CBDCs. So what I want to do is that we're going to we're going to end with song and in this song instead of ending quite in prayer we're going to we're going to pray just a, a little bit and then we're going to end with this blessing over you okay so father god I just thank you so much for everyone listening I just pray that you open wounds that have been shut. I pray that if men have sterilized themselves, that you find a means for them to regain their manhood. I pray, Father God, for anybody who's feeling guilt right now, yes, that they Lord, just repent and then the away. guilt wipes she away. Because the, the, the idea of repentance is that you throw anybody's sins, especially unknown sins, as far as the East is from the West. And we sanctify every viewer right now in the name of Jesus. Anybody whose body is broken or has been broken, I ask you to heal it. People who um, have not had all the kids that they're supposed to have, I pray that they're able to repent of that and that you give them those kids in this lifetime and that you're a they're able to um, make it right because you never bring something to us that we can't make right. That's right. Uh, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So you're going to turn these things around for your good and for your glory. And the idea is that you go back to that that moment when you thought you didn't want kids and you repent in that particular moment and you make the other decision. You turn that yes. decision around and you say, we are just open to whatever God has for us. Um, some of you guys know that you weren't supposed to get married when you got married and, 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 and God uh, turned that around for good. And some of it turned out not so good. And that's okay too. God wants to heal up and bandage up all of those wounds, broken marriages, broken promises, uh, abortion, pornography, lust, perversion in your marriages, things that you've done, sexual acts that you didn't even know were wrong because you saw them on TV. You heard that about, that about this and they were porn acts and you did. Lord God just wants you to be forgiven right now in Jesus name you just say father forgive me and then you just write down all the listing things of the sexual perversions or the birth control perversions that that God brings to your remembrance just ask him to bring to your remembrance and then just ask him to forgive you for all the sins known and unknown and right now you I just release you right now from the burden of sin from the consequences right now wow. of sin and right now God wants to turn around those consequences and he wants to make it like you 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 followed him that's the whole point of coming to Jesus he doesn't you know you can be 80 or 90 90 years old and you didn't know the right way to do it right way to do life and you can come to know Jesus even on your deathbed you can come to know Jesus that's the glorious part of coming to know Jesus and if you know him your whole life and you follow him then you're storing up treasures in heaven if I pray a blessing on those who have kids I pray for provision I pray for land I pray that you open up the windows of heaven for them and I'm just going to sing this over you all of you right now who have repented all of you right now who, who don't even need repentance but may you need provision because you had all your kids or or you've remained single and you remain celibate God wants to bless all of you with children, with lands, with the fruit of the womb, with the fruit of the cattle, with the fruit of the field. And so we're just going to sing this over you. You guys can sing it with us. This is um, actually out straight out of the Bible. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace the lord the lord that's i'm just following the lord bless you 
and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you, and give you peace. Amen. Amen, Amen means so be it. Amen. 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 May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children and their children may his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and of and your family and your children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is in you he is with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing he is for you he is for you he he is for you, 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 and Amen, 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 His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. I want you guys to look up that song. Um, it's Is that Bethel Music? Who sings that? I think so. Um, on YouTube, there are versions that go for like 12 minutes long. Yeah. And just play that in yeah. your house over and over and over and over again. It's called The Blessing. And it come, it literally comes from the blessing of Abraham. This is what God wants for you. This is exactly what God wants for you. And shame on us and shame on the body of Christ for the past less than 100 years of shutting that up. It's tied to eugenics. It's tied to abortion. It is murder. It's murder of the heart. And so we do repent. And I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in. I know this is the longest red pill that we've probably ever done. And we will break it up into two episodes. But this is the message that needs to get out. And we've got more on this, a lot more. Leah's written blogs on it, um, more on the blessing side. But I think tonight was a really good expose, well done, Leah, by the way, of, of showcasing the murderous heart. And I think that we needed to see that first before we can go into the blessing side. I honestly will tell you, I've been shaking putting this together. To be honest, the devil didn't want this out. We got into a nest of ground beasts today. Um crazy things have been happening and I know that the devil didn't want to get this out so I just pray it goes out onto the waters and pray for us as we 
we'll now not be able to be silent around friends and, and family and pray. And I will pray for you that you will be able to deliver this message. This is what I pray. God, just like with sex trafficking or pornography or the revelation red pill, give us to send us to the people who are ready to hear it. Yeah. Okay. We don't want to argue. We don't want to make waves. We don't want to, we don't want to get in debates with people. Right. But there are millions of people who are ready to hear this message. Send us to them. Exactly. Ken Borg says dominion of land, air, water, um, and water equal common law of earth bible basic instructions before leaving earth let's go back to the good old days instead of the sins of the new world order which that's this is all new world order stuff guys it's the same thing it's just bottled up and repackaged in a way that people will receive it and now we've got these kids saying i want this instead of being carted off down a dark hallway you know without permission i feel like this is one of those things where it says, the more you know. I'm <laughs> sorry. True. Before you didn't know. And now, and now you, you know. know. And now get excited. Woo! You can have a whole new life coming from you. Like, like boom, like, boom, life. Wow, it's amazing. What a miracle. I can't believe anyone would ever not want that. I literally can't even conceive of it except for it being satanic. I'm sorry. But I, but. It's a brainwashing. So hopefully we've now unbrainwashed the brainwashing and, and, you, and shaken you just like you were shaken from the end times. Like, wait a minute. Of course I don't want to be sucked out of here. Of course I would want more life to come from my womb or my wife's womb, which is the same as your womb. Like, of course. Like, how could I have ever thought otherwise? And that's where uh, we're at. We didn't even talk about the scriptures of being um, weapons in the hands of a mighty man. I said it a couple times. Okay. This is only the beginning. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. We'll see you next time right here on Revelation Red Pill Wednesdays. If you have not signed up for our emails i want you to go to resistancechicks.com forward slash registration please do already and if you have or you think you have just try again go and re-register because after a year and a half of heartache and me crying myself to sleep so many times last night we successfully sent out our first email campaign if you didn't receive one of those emails sign up if you didn't receive an email last night you still need to go and sign up so go to resistancechicks.com forward slash registration or go to resistancechicks.com on the main page there's a, a square you know neon sign looking thing that says join the resistance click on that and it'll take you there so please 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 every time i get a notification all day long because i've been telling you guys about this i get excited it's like another baby like oh we had another baby oh we got another registration so excited so you guys mean a lot to us we love you and we'll see you next time right here resistancechicks.com Oh, my name, my eyes.